0: This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.
1: And a very good morning to you at uh, coming up on nine minutes past nine. Mick Mulcahy and for the final week before Neil's return next Monday morning. Yes, summer's on the way, says the Mail. I know we've been saying it. I know we said the uh, the high pressure would arrive. It's kind of here. But Met Aaron are saying take out the barbecue as the Azores High brings temperatures or will bring temperatures to 24 degrees. We've been given permission to take the barbecue out. Thousands of people are barbecuing already. Uh, Ireland can finally expect some sunny weather next weekend. Thanks to the Azores High, the high pressure area which originates in the Azores off the coast of Africa looks set to move towards the country in the second half of this week, bringing with it temperatures in the low to mid 20s. Barbecues can be taken out. Air and forecaster Paul Down said as the week goes on, temperatures will get into the low 20s, so slightly above average for the time of year. Thursday, it will really heat up, and you're getting up to 23 degrees, possibly even 24 degrees here in Cork. Uh, but there's a hint that early next week, temperatures might get above 25 degrees Uh, in the southeast of the country. Let's all move to Wexford. But that is a long way out at the moment and that's based on the high pressure staying uh, in for the early days of next week. It could stick there throughout next week but there are some hints that there could be a front from the northwest pushing it out of the way. Elton says his farewell to Cork. The weather was kind uh, to the concert goers as well. There was a huge break in, uh, in the rain that was very heavy earlier in the afternoon. 15 years on from his first performance in Cork City's uh, music legend, Sir Elton John returned on Friday night for his last ever show there. And what a night it was, the 236th show... ...of the Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour, which began in 2018. After being delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic, it will finish next year. That's a long, long tour. It's intended to be Elton John's final tour, consisting of more than 300 concerts worldwide. A taxing schedule, it's uh, no doubt. But the 75-year-old star was the picture of exuberance when he took the stage to tumultuous applause... In Parque Kiev just after 8pm. We're, uh, we're so happy to be here, he said. We've been looking forward to coming to Ireland and the weather's clearing up. We're so lucky. Uh, we're getting to the end of the European Outside Shows. Two more to do after tonight, so we're going to make this one count. And apparently, yes, he did deliver.
2: Everybody happy
1: there. Uh, we have woman had to bring distressed son... To uh, ED, Uh, the CAMH fails child, uh, says the Echo front page today. A Cork mother has said that a recent experience at a hospital emergency department completely destroyed any faith she had in the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, CAMHS. Anne was left with no option but to bring her son to the Mercy Hospital uh, MUHED, emergency department, recently following a difficult time at home. He was extremely agitated, hysterically uh, crying, and communicating that he wanted to die. She said her son ha- was being weaned off one medication. Onto another, and there were also changes in his routine. Uh, after some time, she worsened, uh, and the uh, CAMHS apparently offered an appointment on the Friday the next day, which Anne says she could not wait for. She was then told A&E was the only option. Full story in today's Echo. Welfare and fuel to be targeted in early budgets, says the front of the examiner. The Cabinet is set to spend an extra €2 billion, euro, an extra €2 billion. In Budget 2023, which we've now confirmed, or everybody believes anyway, will be September 27th. Daniel McConnell, the Examiner's political editor, reporting extending fuel rebates beyond Budget Day. Another round of the €200 energy credit and an autumn welfare bonus will be part of the £6.7 budget package to be approved in principle today. We're going to hear details of that uh, this afternoon as well. The increase in spending is up from 4.7 billion that was promised in April and it comes as the government struggles to offset runaway inflation and rising prices. The extra 2 billion made up of 1.5 billion on spending and a half a billion on tax cuts will form the basis of the summer economic statement to be announced today. But much of that money will be needed simply to stand still. So there's always, I suppose, people giving out that the government don't act fast enough when it comes to alleviating or helping to alleviate poverty in stressful situations financially. Um, and it's all very well that they're uh, proposing tax cuts. Why don't they just index link the uh, um, PAYE bans uh, to reflect or try to follow and reflect inflation? That would be an almost immediate help next week in people's pay packets. And we're hoping to get some uh, senior government uh, members, at least one, if we can. We're trying a few and uh, see if we can get them on the air with us uh, this week. Uh, while some ministerial sources say there is a lot of fiscal space or additional revenues allowing much greater scope to help struggling families, Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath will be seeking to dampen down expectations at Cabinet with a sobering assessment of of the nation's finances. This, senior sources have said, is due to record employment and rising incomes. And that's a sobering assessment. Record employment and rising incomes should give a very positive outlook, I suppose. But under significant political pressure to address the cost of living crisis, the Cabinet will meet for an extraordinary meeting to approve its summer economic statement. This is going to set out the budget day parameters when it's delivered in the last week of September, Christmas bonus in autumn, though says the Mirror front page, pensioners and those on benefits could be in for an early Christmas with an extra week's welfare payment in autumn. The government is considering handing out the traditional festive bonus to 1.4 million people at the end of summer as the price of pretty much everything skyrockets. It's to help the ease to ease the cost of living crisis and will not affect the usual Christmas bonus, which will be paid again in December. There could be a €10 rise in benefits, but John McHale, Professor of Economics at NUIG, said if they really want to protect people, they have to go further than that. Christmas could come early, though, uh, for many of our pensioners and those on social welfare. Budget measures, by the way, are expected to include significant increases in core social welfare payments, in childcare subsidies, uh, the indexation of the tax bands, to account for the rise in inflation. Oh, there's my suggestion. I've just said, I said that about a minute ago. Uh, and there it is in the papers. The indexation of the tax bans. But they could do that now. They don't need to wait until September, uh, to do that. And that would give an almost immediate help to everybody in need, especially the lower paid. Uh, on the stars front page, it's red eye to roll. The first batch of troops begin airport security training today. It's a 6 a.m. starts as one of the bullet points and 500 kilometer trek but there's no deal on pay. Uh, soldiers are being ordered on a round trip of more than 500 kilometres to work as security at Dublin Airport. It's emerged the star has learned 40 soldiers from the 28th Infantry Battalion based at Finner Camp in County Donegal are in Dublin today for special training before being deployed to the crisis-ridden airport. They leave Donegal at 6am for a 520-kilometre round trip between their Ballyshannon camp and Dublin, for the two-day training course on how to act as security at the nation's main airport. And once the government gives the nod... They will then be deployed from Donegal to spend up to a week at a time at the airport. Let's hope they can do some sort of a deal uh, on getting fairly compensated for that. Several killed in mall gun rampage, also says the Star today. Danish cops arrest suspect in mass shooting. Several people have been killed in the shooting at a shopping centre in Denmark's capital Copenhagen. Uh, Police have confirmed Police say they were present at Fields Mall after receiving reports of shootings, while onlookers reported people being killed with a semi-automatic weapon. Several people were reportedly hit by gunshots as panic spread through the crowd, while shoppers were evacuated. One eyewitness says shooting in the shopping centre next to Venue. Fatalities, semi-automatic, were about 100 metres away. Out now and away and safe. Imagine sending such a stressful message uh, in the midst of a shooting. But there you go. Prepare for a new COVID wave every few months, says the Mirror. The waves of COVID-19 can be expected every few months, an expert in virology has warned. Dr. Jared Barry, a professor at UCD, has also said a new variant, which has emerged in India, is likely to hit us around September or October. The virus is not going to be seasonal like the flu, which disappears during the summer months. His comments come amid a further rise in the number of people with the bug in hospital. Yesterday, there were 826 patients with the virus, an increase of 30 from the same time. On Saturday, it compares with 746 people last Sunday. The figure has risen by 30% in two weeks, and it has more than doubled from three weeks ago. And yet they are standing down, drastically standing down, the uh, contact tracing departments across the country. Uh, In the Echo, calls for a one-way system to be trialled on Blarney Street. Renewed calls have been made for a one-way system to be trialled and for further traffic calming measures to be put in place along Blarney Street. It comes as last month's CCTV footage widely shared on social media showed a car speeding down the street, ostensibly the longest street in the country and colliding with several parked vehicles. So there's a call for a one-way system to be trialled. On Blarney Street. A couple of more. A baby bat colony closes an AIB branch. Uh, Louise Walsh reporting. uh, Almost 100 four-week-old bat pups, which temporarily closed the bank in Cork, have been reunited with their mothers. The AIB branch in Blarney was closed to the public on Tuesday after staff noticed the tiny baby bats and called in the Bat Rehabilitation Ireland Centre to deal with the infestation as uh, in the interim, customers were diverted to other nearby bank branches. Susan Kirwan of the Bat Rehabilitation Centre, Ireland's first dedicated hospital to bats, rescued 93 tiny bats up to Thursday, but expected there would be more to be found in the roof space of the old building. What is the procedure? What is the protocol if you find a bat in your bedroom or in your house? What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to lock it in and call um, people like Susan Kerwin at the Bat Rehabilitation Centre? Do you try to get it out? Do you leave it alone? Uh, Is it illegal uh, to try to capture the bat and free it? I don't know. Uh, If anyone can shed any light on that, please call us 0818 104 106. Uh, Now, we'll cover this later in the programme, but there's a bid to erect uh, a Michael Collins statue in Cork City. Efforts to erect a statue of Michael Collins in Cork City gathering pace as the 100th anniversary of his assassination approaches. And more on that a little later on. Taxi in Times says the mirror an appalling smell and a driver's refusal to allow a guide dog in his cab were among hundreds of complaints received by the taxi regulator in the past eight months. The largest number of complaints received by the NTA, the National Transport Authority, to date this year, related to overcharging and other matters uh, relating to fares, while drivers failing to wear face coverings was also a recurring issue. Finally, a bitter pill to swallow, a 1 euro tablet that can cure a hangover. Uh, a hangover busting pill leaving drinkers feeling fresh the next day is coming on the market. It works by reducing alcohol absorbed by the body, but because uh, some gets through, the drinkers still enjoy a buzz. Miracle is that kind of on Miracle M Y R K L. Miracle. It's a miracle. Oracle tablets cost thirty-four eighty for 30 pills and are taken two at a time an hour before drinking. The Journal of Nutrition and Metabolic Insights reported that in test subjects had 70% less alcohol in their blood an hour after two vodkas, uh, which may have helped the boozers to hit uh, the 2009 comedy The Hangover. Um, so you, you go out drinking and this uh, pill kind of stops you from getting drunk but does uh, do
3: away with the, with the hangover as well.
1: Those are the morning papers. It's 21 minutes past nine. Good morning.
3: Cork's number one talk show. The Neil Prendiville Show on Red FM.
1: Now then, uh, let me get to a couple of texts before we take our first caller because we have acres and acres of texts coming through, especially on our Besbra topic. Uh, and guess who was in government when these crimes were committed, says a texture? Make that lady has an absolutely amazing story. And an incredible way of speaking and telling it. Uh, that was Mary Donovan, I think. It's absolutely disgraceful what happened to all these women and babies in these days, and nobody answerable. What an absolute disgrace the church has allowed this to happen and wouldn't do anything to help. Listening to this lady is absolutely heartbreaking. For all her hardship, her determination is inspirational. I hope Mary gets the justice they all deserve. What happened in Belsborough and elsewhere was child trafficking, but as it was the church who did it, it's not called that. Why? says Pat. Just a couple more and we'll go to our phone lines. Uh, If any citizen in any country was found to have buried their own baby in the back garden, the ground would be a crime scene and the parents punished for doing what they did. Yet the church stroke government just apologise and push it away and yet no nun was ever questioned in any of these homes, says Anthony. And uh, one final one, the HSC is a Frankenstein-esque monster created by the government. It's now out of control. The only way to deal with monsters is to drive a stake through its heart. And so says Pa. Talk to Neil
3: Brenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM.
1: Derek Bly joins me on line one. Thanks for holding, Derek. How are you? Mick, how are you getting on? Very good. Now, you were in touch with us last week about a project in Mitchellstown, and it's a DIY SOS. The Big Build Ireland is returning to Cork for a very special two-part episode based in Kingston College in Mitchellstown. Now, this has uh, a very, a very important, heartfelt feel to it. It's an incredibly special build, uh, and the producers were excited to be able to announce a mammoth endeavour. You're involved in this, are you?
4: Well, I... I was going to be involved in it. Uh, I had to withdraw my name there last week Okay. Uh, from it. Um, well, what was your understanding, got, and, and
1: why, were you in, why were you prepared to get involved? When I got involved first, Mick, um, uh, I was
4: led to believe that the project was for housing homeless people. Um, uh, some Ukrainian, but also So Irish. Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Also homeless Irish. As um, what they wanted was, they wanted tradespeople to gear up, right, and go in for about 10 days and do up eight houses um, in um, the King's College area of Mitchelstown. Beautiful houses, no, may I add, but in need of renovation. Um, But as the weeks went on, I learned that no Irish are being put up in the houses. It's strictly for Ukrainians. And even if they wanted to hose Irish, they can't because the grants they're
1: getting from the EU uh, will only allow to hose Ukrainian people. Okay, now these, these houses That's- are long standing. Uh, if that's not yeah, a pun. They're, they're, yeah. They've been housing... 1760, I believe. Yeah, 1761 is the number I've heard, but they've oh, been oh, housing yeah, people housing. in need, you know, for for over uh, 250 years. Kingston College, a community of 31 small terraced houses. They're beautiful houses, grouped yeah. around a large square with a chapel. Uh, the chapel, of course, is the central focus, as it would have been back then. And they've kind of been in trust since the mid-18th century. Uh, and they're in trust to yep. three Church of Ireland bishops who've been maintaining yep. them via a fund. So what you're saying is even if they wanted to give 50-50 to Irish and Ukrainian, they're precluded because of the funding conditions.
4: The one foundation, which was founded by our own Bono, and um, another uh, chap, um, gave a donation of 200,000 euro to uh, the trust, but only on condition that... Uh, the houses be used to house Ukrainian refugees only. Now, I have no problem with Ukrainian refugees. I have no problem with the Ukrainian war. But we've got a mini-war going on in this country uh, with over a decade. We've got 10,000 homeless Irish in this country. We've got hundreds of thousands of Irish people waiting on the council list for homes. A sister of mine has been on the housing list for over um, 12 years now at this stage. She's got children, two young kids, right? And for us uh, to muster uh, the means uh, to bring in an unlimited number of Ukrainian refugees at this time makes absolutely no sense to me. And that's why I had to withdraw my name from the uh, project. It was, a, it, was a, right. it was a voluntary project, may I ask? I was, I was willing to go in for the 10 days and work for free. Uh, for free, me and a few lads. But when we heard that no Irish allowed, then we said we, uh, we, had to, we had to withdraw. And may I add as well, Mick, this isn't just happening in Mitchelstown. This is happening up and down the length and breadth of the country. Uh, There's a hotel in Sermoy, a beautiful hotel. I've I've went in there many times myself over the years. I've had had dinner in there with my family. Um, That hotel has been done up at the moment and it's strictly for Ukrainian refugees. Um, That hotel has been sitting idle for the last, you know, four or five years, right? Why couldn't the government um, put a few bob together, then
1: do uh, it up, right? And put homeless into it. Who, who's, who's footing the bill for the hotel renovation? Do you know? The EU again.
4: The EU, from what I hear, I spoke to one of the lads doing some work on the, the hotel. And I spoke to some locals in the area, and they all confirmed that it's EU money. So if the, if the EU has, and I'm going to take a guess at this, hundreds of millions of euro, really? when you factor in all the properties around the country, to uh, uh, do up to a very high standard, may I add, um, accommodation for strictly Ukrainian refugees. Why couldn't they help our own people in the last few years?
1: Yeah, that's that's a very valid position. And, and you know, it's it's going to polarise opinion uh, because some people will say, you know something, the, the war in Ukraine is not going to last forever. These people will be repatriated to their home country. Uh, and we will, as a benefit, have many hundreds, if not thousands of properties uh, that will come become available for uh, the Irish homeless. But I do take your point. If it was fifty six Will they be
4: repatriated, though, Mick? will they be
1: repatriated when the ukrainians Listen move the question, home you reckon yeah, ukrainians will, will stay
4: well uh in the 2015 uh syrian refugee wave, we took in tens of thousands of people and to date a minuscule amount of those people have returned home even though the syrian war has is well, is long over there may be some skirmishes, uh, some small conflicts the The president of Syria actually came out a few years ago and he called for his people to return, okay but right, you know when you when you bring people in uh, from countries with a lower standard of living right and you you put them up in another country with a higher standard of living, um, you know you may, you make no incentive to leave so going by the 2015 Syrian refugee crisis, if that is anything to go by, you know, we can't expect many of these people to ever return to Ukraine. Uh,
1: I, look, we've tried to contact the hotel in question. We've tried contacting them on, uh, on phone and by email. Uh, they've bounced back. Uh, the general consensus is the hotel is closed. If you were, sure. if you were to be told that the, uh, the renovations uh, in this proposed DIY SOS program were going to be 50-50... Irish homeless and Ukrainian refugees would that be more palatable would that be
4: acceptable 100% I'm working on a job now at the moment I gather up my tools and I would head down there if it was to be used for even 50% but I spoke to um, the the Anglican church last week the Protestant church um, they're the ones uh, that own the property and they said to me, they said, "We can't even entertain um, housing non-Ukrainians. The donations we've received are only for Ukrainian people." So that's when I had to pull my name. Mm.
1: Now this is an RT production, or it's uh, if not an RT production, it's uh, you know it's a, it's subbed out mm-hmm. to a production company, perhaps. Uh, we've contacted yeah. RT; they've told us to contact the Anglican Church. Uh, so yes. we're currently awaiting a response from them. Um, mm. So uh, maybe the Bishop of Cork, Cline and Ross, Dr. Paul, Paul Colton, if we can get him, uh, can shed some more light. Uh, it was he and Diocesan Secretary Billy Skews who, having watched the plight of the Ukrainian yeah. people, decided to put out an appeal to try and raise money to do up eight or, or so vacant houses to house refugees and their families. But in the case mm. of, of the Bishop here, uh, is it a case now you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't?
4: Um... Look, uh, 60% of Irish people want a cap put right, on the numbers of people coming in from Ukraine. It, the, the overwhelming majority of people that you speak to on the street, um, they believe it's a bad idea to bring an unlimited number. Uh, the Housing Minister, Daryl O'Brien, said last week, uh, he spoke to an independent TD, Carol Nolan, and he told her, that there is absolutely no way the government will entertain putting a cap
1: on refugees. And we're a small country but with a relatively small population, uh, you know, we, compared we to the size, for population. instance, and the population of the UK. Yeah,
4: but you know, we're get, yeah. And uh, how many refugees have the UK taken?
1: Uh, inordinately less, as, as, as a percentage yeah. of per head of capita. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. And that, in my opinion, is. The smart way to go about it.
1: Well, that's one of but the reasons they wanted Brexit, Derek, is to, is to control their borders and have that uh, you know, enforced cap. Um, right. I, I'm all for bringing in Ukrainian refugees and giving whatever help we can as a nation. Um, but unlimited... At the expense of our own people? Unlimited can't work. Yeah,
4: exactly. It can't, it can't work. It's, it's, like, it's too broad a number. It's far too broad of a number. Um, uh, especially when we've got 10,000 of our own people without homes we we had 115 people die on the streets of dublin last year that's one that's our capital city that's one city right i don't have the figures for the rest of the country if those people had a roof over their head right and a warm meal inside their belly how many of those would still be alive today you know, we 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 need we need to draw the line, and and maybe maybe we need our own farmer Brexit here because we seem to have no say, right, in the numbers that the EU uh, declares that we take into this country um, since January and up to last month. The Irish state issued 135,000 PPS numbers, Uh, 35,000 of those went to Ukrainians, 100,000 PPS numbers, non-Ukrainian PPS numbers were issued, how many of those were uh, new births? Somewhere in the region of 25,000
5: I believe.
1: On the other side, though, and and kind of going against what you were saying about them not returning, in total, over 2.5 million Ukrainians uh, who left their Mm -hmm. country have returned to their home since the war started. The Irish Times reported that uh, tens of thousands have made the decision to return to Ukraine and rebuild their lives despite the uncertainty of war. Uh, So a lot of them are going back, but there's still a lot of them coming this way.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I hope they do return. I, I've, no, I've nothing against Ukrainians. I actually like Ukrainian people. I lived in Canada for 10 years, and there's a huge Ukrainian community over there. They're, uh, they're hardworking. They have good values. They have similar values to our own. But at the end of the day, Mick, we, are, we have a crisis here of our own. We have a major housing crisis, even before that war started. We, we've got a fuel crisis, we've got a food crisis, we've got an inflation crisis, we're heading into a very, very dark period.
1: We're definitely heading into a very, very dark winter because now we're We are yeah. to, we're, we're now, if you've seen some of the weekend reports in the papers, we are now dependent on, uh, on Britain to keep gas supplies yeah. going with us through the winter because we don't have uh, our own uh, liquefied natural gas. Yeah. Uh, so and where
4: that, did that get us before?
1: I know, but you know? we're 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 now depending on a country. Let's let's be honest. That at the moment relations are a little bit frosty with uh, to yeah. to supply us with gas because we don't have enough uh, renewables uh, to power the country if the wind doesn't blow. Now, if it blows hard and it does in the winter, we might get through. But we're we're looking at a, a winter of possible uh, energy cuts, gas cuts, and possible power outages.
4: Which brings me to the point. Which brings me to the point. The. Uh, the leader of the Green Party up in Dublin right, Eamon Ryan who in my opinion uh, does, he does not have a functioning brain right, he decided at this point. No, that's very unfair to, to, no no he decided to ban harvesting and sale of turf we've survived uh, cutting and burning turf in this country for thousands of years right? and now when we're facing into a bleak winter as you said yourself he decides to ban the sale of it. Um, people living in the city, that won't make much of a difference to them. But it's rural Ireland is going to suffer and it's going to suffer hard this winter, right? Because of that ban. No, it okay. won't stop me from buying turf. I'm going to continue I buy turf. I don't, if, they, if they want to put me in prison right. for keeping my family warm, then so be it. But... But... Uh, uh, the ban will uh, stop a percentage of the population uh, from buying turf, right, and that's going to have a it's going to have a major impact on them. But anyway, back to the Ukraine issue. Uh, w- you know, we, we can't we can't take an unlimited number.
1: Yeah, okay, uh, unlimited, unlimited That's untenable. It just cannot be unlimited. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Vic, How are you? Very good. You take exception to what, uh, some of what Derek is saying? I
6: do. I do. Um, I suppose, look, first of all, I think, you know, the fact that he had volunteered to, to, um, to do some um, work to improve society has to be commended. But I think uh, the point he's making that he's entitled to withdraw his volunteerism, that's fine. I think the reason that he's given, um, pause, I'm sorry, um, we're in an emergency. We're in emergencies. I mean, yes, we're in multiple emergencies, but there's a people emergency worst at home. the moment. Ukrainians are in a war, it's an extension crisis. They are leaving to save their lives. Women and children, primarily, by the way, should be added. These are families who've popped over and are going to stay forever.
1: Are you walking so, there, Kieran? Is the, a... the line is, is bad. Could you just maybe, if you're walking, just Sorry. just stand in one spot yeah. if you can. Yeah. Uh, have you got me now, Yeah, that's here. perfect. Yeah. Now, I know the okay. president. I know Assad, the president of Syria, told us people to come home. Uh, and you, you can't really blame the Syrians for not leaving Ireland because of the quality of life is here. Um, as sad as the race that's, is, it, not w- w-
4: that's not our uh, job to right, provide a higher quality of life for, for uh, the world, Matt. Like, uh, w- w- like when, you, right, when you bring in people, right, and you put them up, right, when some of those people are non-productive, okay, then it lowers the quality of life here in this country, and at the moment, our quality of life is, is plummeting. We're, you know, like, we need, to, we need to start taking care of our own people first
1: yes, and that, that, foremost. Yes, but that's not the fault of those fleeing um, you know, fleeing war and, re- and repression. With, with the that's clothes on their back, they came here. And they came here looking for right. a better life. And we've been yeah, given I, a better life through countries all over the world when we had to flee. Uh, because we had a famine, we had no food, and a British government that couldn't care less.
4: Mick, the population of the world is close to eight billion people. Okay, um, uh, more than more than half of those people survive right on a couple of dollars a day. We cannot fix the world's problems right with the resources we have. We're a tiny, okay. a tiny island in the middle of the Atlantic. Our resources are finite. We cannot look after the world. We've been very good with the last few decades. Okay? We've really shown ourselves to be compassionate people. But we're at the point now where the dam has filled and we need to say that we need to close our borders, restrict the numbers coming into the country at least... And fix our own problems here at home, and then when, it, when everything's fixed, when our own people all have their own bed and their own roof over their heads, right? Then we can say, right, we've this much left in the kitty.
1: Let's help others. Karen, do you so not, we, do you not think Derek is justified uh, to be saying, if I'm not renovating for at least some Irish, I'm not renovating at all. Absolutely
6: not. And I'm absolutely appalled by the language that's been used here. The xenophobic kind of talk is
4: exactly Xenophil, what here, here we go yeah, with, these words just exactly, again, yeah.
6: with, with respect to, I didn't interrupt you Kay. now for one you made a comment that the Syrians aren't going home first of all how can you compare a democratic society like the Ukraine with a, a dictatorship a brutal dictatorship like Syria second of all it's women and children from the Ukraine who have come here at huge personal cost and they're devastated to be away from their menfolk, who are by and large the army of Ukraine fighting for their homeland they want to be repatriated. They want to go home. The Syrians did not want to fight for um, Assad. They left in their droves because it was a brutal war. They are not comparable. Now, in in, in respect of your comment about shouldn't we, um, the dam is full and we should close the doors. So why don't we close the museums? Why did not we close the museums? Because museums are, they're nice to have. We don't need them so why didn't we close them we use all that money to help people you come back my friend in 50 and 100 years time there will be problems
4: well i'll be dead if that's this
6: there will be ho- there will be homeless people on the streets of dublin it is not just about not having a roof over your head it's a holistic issue the father mcferry um, trust will say it's not as easy as build houses and the people who die in the streets of dublin can go into a house and then have their lives saved it is a societal what? problem i get that but that does not mean one emergency does not mean that you close the doors on everyone we have multiple emergencies and right now mick made a very valid point we have to house these people the long-term benefits to our society will be immense not because the ukrainians will stay here but because we will be, have, have shed um kindness humanity um, positive thinking and um, helping our neighbors in a time
4: when they need it so the they're Ukraine, not our neighbors uh, they live they half a world away.
6: Single, world away. With, respect, m- with respect, every single one of the 8 billion people you just referenced are our neighbours. Because oh, they're... Okay. With God in 1937, we, th- we did not stand up to a bully. And look what it brought the world to. We need to stand up to a bully. And the price that we have to pay, which, by the way, I'm not particularly happy putting 100 quid instead of 70 quid in my petrol tank. But if 30 quid is the difference between our freedom at 30 euro a tank, and yes, it does affect me. It affects all of us. Yeah. But the price... Can I jump sp- in there? We're going to pay the price anyway.
1: Okay, let's let's let's, no. let's give Derek a chance. Go on, Derek.
4: Yeah. Um, um, what about the people who don't have an extra 30 quid in their wallet? Uh, what about what those about people? people? Don't have a, who? What about the people... My friend, uh, my
6: point is not about the extra 30 quid. Everyone is suffering but our price but to pay to stop that monster in Moscow from doing what he's doing is far less than what the Ukrainians are paying. So we must how,
4: how is increasing our own fuel prices gonna stop uh, Putin in Moscow, right? Since we restricted, is- since, hang on a second though, let me finish. Since we restricted the, the fuel that Russia exports to Ireland, okay? The, uh, the, uh, the stock market in Russia has increased. Right, because he just turned around and he started selling to other countries, right? Meanwhile, we're here, right? People are putting 5 and 10 euro into their tanks again, right. like they were in the 80s. Every 50% of cars driving along the roads, right, have a yellow light on, because they can't afford to put fuel inside in their uh, tank. But can I ask you one quick, right, another question, Damon?
1: Damon, isn't it? Kieran. 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 Yeah, Kieran, sorry. Time's against us now, lads. So let's finish up quickly, if we can. Yeah.
4: How many Ukrainians, right? Did you take into your house? Oh my god! How many? Oh
1: my god!
4: Okay. How many I Ukrainians many did Ukrainians. you take, Kieran? I
6: haven't taken any Ukrainians into my house.
4: You so haven't take taken many... Ukrainians, so 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 you are good enough. You are good enough for societies all around Ireland, right? To fill up their hotels, to fill up their empty houses with strangers from another country, and you'll come here on the radio, right? And berate me uh, for. Um, standing up against it and not supporting it, right? right but you won't put your occupancy. own hand into your pocket right, and feed one of them. Do you Actually, know what I call I you? I call you a hypocrite,
1: Kieran. Ciarán, okay. that leads okay. me to a question. Would you give 10 days of your own time for free to help the situation? If I could. On DIY SOS, would you give 10 days? Have you skills that would lend to the renovation of those houses?
6: I don't have the skills, um, um, mm-hmm. Nick, but I absolutely, I have contributed financially, despite what that man said. I can't put a Ukrainian into my house right now. And by the way, we don't import Russian oil. So there's, there's no limit to the amount of facts that, that guy's trying out. That are around 50% of cars going around with the yellow light. Where would you get that staff from? Then, then why, it's populism, Mick. Mick. it's populism, and with respect, no. the man is throwing out hashtags that make absolutely no sense. We should welcome yeah. the Ukrainians. They'll be here temporarily, and we'll be able to cut before it. Finally,
1: Kieran, do you agree we should welcome an unlimited amount of Ukrainians?
6: I believe we should carry our fair share. It's not an unlimited amount, Mick. Every single country in the EU is carrying its share. We should carry ours. The amount of time Mm we will be financially supported by the EU, and as a result of this, as you correctly said, the Ukrainians will go home to their families when this is over, and we will be left with the infrastructure we should have. It's a shame that it takes an emergency to get the money to put um, in place the necessary resources to house all our people. We've had an emergency
4: here for over fifteen years.
6: And now the money is coming from outside. The money is not yeah. it's, it's coming in. And I, I believe this is a short-term problem, maybe one or two years. And when they go, those 30 houses in Mitchellstown will be there for the next 50 for Irish people. All right.
4: right, I, and, I, if, right and if it's not over in two years, Kieran, right, will you take the excess migrants into your house? Will you take them then? Can we get your details, Kieran, on, I'm on not, the air I'm, today? I'm and can not, you commit? I'm,
1: I'm not talking to this guy. Oh, yeah. yeah thanks, yeah, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Listen, thanks, I, I think... By thanks, Karen. bye Bye-bye. Uh, listen, Can well, well say done, you, you, like you. Yeah, very quickly, please.
4: Yeah, the, the terms there that Kieran's throwing around, uh, xenophobe and populist and racist and all these, these don't work anymore. Okay? If, if right, you love your country and if you love your people and if you want better things for your country, right, uh, we've start to calling those people uh, racist here the last few years. It's not racist to love your country. Okay? I think so your, your heart's r- in the right
1: place, Derek. You're still going to withhold your services, are you?
4: I'm still, I'm absolutely. If they if they agree to housing 50% Irish, I will uh, gather up my tools today and I'll go to work
1: for them. All right, And I'll stay there until the job is over. Fair play to you. Derek Bly, thank you very much for coming on the Neil prandeville Show this morning. Cheers. You're
3: welcome. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 Red FM.
1: Well, it's a very emotive topic. We're going to return to it after news at 10. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prenderville Show. But taking us all the way to news, here's Housing Minister Dara O'Brien and Carol Nolan duking it out in Doyle Aaron
0: absolutely convinced that if we do not learn to find some way of exploring in a grown-up, pragmatic and constructive way the links between unsustainable levels of inward migration or asylum into this state and housing, then we are never going to find a meaningful solution to what is already an overwhelming crisis. All of this means that Ireland's capacity to provide even the bare minimum of emergency accommodation and shelter to its own citizens and those genuinely fleeing war is being severely undermined.
2: Um, Deputy, I respectfully say that your comments here this afternoon uh, pose a risk to social cohesion. I want to be very clear on behalf of the Government
0: That's outrageous.
5: Stop inter- you have a problem minister. with
0: every speaker this morning it appears.
2: What I'm saying is government have been very, very clear, uh, particularly in relation to the the response to our friends from Ukraine, that we will will take in as many Ukrainian citizens fleeing a brutal war uh, vested upon them through no fault of their own, uh, and we we will not bring forward any caps in that regard. We're on track this year to deliver more social homes this year than we've done in any year in the history of the state. Now Maddie, try to behave yourself a little bit. What I would say
0: Ar- arrogance, arrogance
2: is oh, not no, 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 I, 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 I would ask you I I I'll ask you a direct question back. Do you support this state providing refuge and safe harbour to citizens from Ukraine who are fleeing a brutal war? Un- question. Excuse me, I asked you the we question. Do. But Are you now opposition From your yeah? comments here today, from your you comments here today, you're trying to pass that. What you're outrageous. trying to say here is that that there will be some impact on our delivery of housing for people. <laughs> <laughs> Count Corley, there's little point in me trying to respond. There's little okay. point in me trying we to respond at this point.
1: Listen, I will suspend the House if people don't allow
2: the minister to reply. Deputy Nolan Nolan has, has walked a very fine line here this afternoon. And what you're calling for effectively is a cap on immigration and a cap on asylum into this country. Do you want to draw a distinction between who comes in here? Is that what you're asking to do? because we, we won't go down that line. now.
0: Can I, can I just Deputy respond Nolan, please? Yeah, um, your, your comments are absolutely outrageous and the fact that you have a reckless policy in place. Minister, I'll make my points very clear. Are you saying that we welcome everybody in only to sleep for years on hotel floors? Because that's what you're saying over there. And that's how reckless your government is. So how dare you misconstrue what I have said to you. I asked you very direct questions. We have have a housing crisis here. We have a situation that is at an unsustainable level. It would be lovely to be able to give everybody a house. And you, you've you said that yourself. But are you suggesting that we can do that? Are you suggesting that it's fine to have people on hotel floors for years? Is that which, Because that's what you're saying to me here. And I think you need to come down off your high horse and face the reality and face the facts.
1: News at 10 is next.
7: I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins
2: or by clicking on redfm.ie.
3: Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
1: Now, huge interest in a bid to erect a Michael Collins statue in Cork City on English in the Examiner reporting that efforts to erect a statue of Michael Collins in Cork City are now gathering pace as the 100th anniversary of his assassination approaches. This is August Twenty seconds, so about six or seven weeks away. Uh, The Irish Examiner has learned that a group of Collins enthusiasts, some of whom play key roles in the erection of a statue of Collins in uh uh, unveiled by actor Liam Neeson back in uh, 20 years ago in 2002, have agreed to raise funds for a statue that will... Then be handed over to the city for placement in the city centre. Cork businessman and uh, Collins enthusiast Jerry Carey and Noel Scannell and Tim Crowley of the Michael Collins Centre and Museum near Clonakilty. We have some passes for that to give away, by the way. Let's try and do that before the end of the programme. Uh, and uh, they based their statue design on one of the most famous photographs of the revolutionary leader. It's not him in uniform. It's him standing with the uh, trademark hat Uh, He looks older than his tender young years. He was only in his early 30s. Uh, when he was assassinated almost 100 years ago. He was a revolutionary leader. I often wonder how kind history would have been to Michael Collins had he not had his life taken and his future taken from him in Bail-Nablau almost 100 years ago. But uh, for sure, he is one of the most revered figures in Irish history. His grave is the most visited in Glasnevin by a country mile. Uh, and that's very interesting too. There's still reverence shown 100 years later to Michael Collins. And uh, it's understood uh, that the... Uh, the organising committee would like to see the statue placed at ground level and not on a plinth, uh, to be amongst the people, as Collins was. And Fine Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, who has liaised with the group, has submitted a motion that should become before Cork City Council for debate within weeks, calling on the council to facilitate the placing of the statue in the city centre. He said he would like it placed on St. Patrick Street, and he joins me in line two. Good morning, Councillor Shane O'Callaghan. Morning, Mick. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Give us the background to this. Uh, There's obviously a positive impetus finally coming into this. Was there there a failed effort before to get this done?
8: Well, there was. Um, In 2020, I would have submitted um, a motion to Cork City Council calling for the council to erect statues of Michael Collins, Thomas McCartan and Terence McSweeney in Cork City Centre. But when it came to a vote, um, my motion um, was supported by Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin and some independents, but it was voted down. Uh, because of the opposition of Fianna Fail, the Green Party, uh, Labour, and several independents. Okay. So um, but this time, I would be confident that, that it will pass because I mean, a major issue at the time, uh, particularly for Fianna Fail, voting against it was the cost involved, and obviously this time the cost will no longer be an issue because the statue, if all goes to plan, will be made and presented to Cork City Council at no cost to it. Okay. Well, what um, will it cost? Well, I I, I think that the the estimates, I think, are about a hundred thousand. Um, but again, that will that the, the plan is for that all uh, the, the entirety of that funding to be uh, provided by this group t- as a result of a fundraising committee, and um, similar to the fundraising drive uh, or campaign which was which was held uh, and which raised the necessary funding for the statue of Mike Collins, um, in Emmet Square in County Kildare, at that stage the vast majority of the funding would have come from you know, small donations from ordinary people, and some would have come from um, from, from larger donations, etc. But that's, that's the plan this time as well. Um, and as you mentioned, um, Tim Crowley would have been, you know, who's, you know who runs the Mike Collins Centre Museum West Cork and operates Mike Collins tours on a regular basis. He would have been one of the main members um, of that fundraising campaign. he had been on the committee that made, um, that, that organised that fundraising campaign. So he has a lot of experience in the area. Um, already, because he's already done it. Essentially, and he's proposing, and um, together with uh, Noel Scandal and Jerry Carey and others, to, to do the same thing again. Um, essentially, what they're saying is they'll, they'll basically raise the funding, and um, you know, have the statue created, have it commissioned, have it built, and present this to Cork City Council. And all Cork City Council will have to do at that stage is to facilitate its placement at a suitable location in Cork City Centre.
1: Okay, which, which you would like to be on the ground. Maybe on a short three-inch plinth.
8: Well, I, I, um, I suppose like, well, my original proposal the last time was for uh, the statues of Collins and McCartan and McSweeney to be on plinths. But um, Tim Crowley and Noel Scannell and, and Jerry Carey, um, and I, look, I, I do agree with them. Prefer the idea of it to be on the ground to be, to be because we're, as Collins was amongst the people, it's much more personal when something is on the ground rather than looking up to it. So, I mean, I I actually agree with them. I mean, they they, they make a very good point in that.
1: there's another great and famous photograph of Michael Collins uh, in oratory stance. Um, You know, very much like uh, maybe James Larkin would would have been in Dublin. That might have been another option. But uh, I'm I'm looking at the picture in the front of the examiner. It certainly is uh, striking the correct pose. It's non-military uh and and i I think and i think it would attract a lot of tourists to take that very special photograph
8: it would it would and um you know and and jerry carey um you know, obviously, he's, he's a huge Collins enthusiast, and he's a very successful businessman, as you know, and and has been a major employer in Cork. But he he also thinks, in addition to commemorating Collins and his seminal role in you know achieving independence and establishing an independent Irish state, that it would be a great tourist attraction, which would encourage Collins enthusiasts from all over the world to visit Cork. And Noel Scandal is also very much of that view, and as you pointed out earlier, and um, the, the the grave of Collins is by far the most popular visited. Uh, grave in Glasnevin, and I think that um, the statue of Collins, in addition to commemorating uh, you know, the seminal role he played in in creating, you know, in leading the military resistance to British rule and um, running the finances of the outlawed Dáil government during the War of Independence and, you know, playing the leading role in negotiating and establishing an independent democratic Irish state and its institutions uh, of the state, such as the Gardaí and the Army. So in, in addition to commemorating Collins and his achievements, it would also, I think, um you know, serve as, as, as something that could be, could could come to become a, a tourist attraction uh, for and enthusiasts from all over the world.
1: Okay, um, uh, now, now uh, by the way, there's a fantastic documentary, and this is just an aside, on Glasnevin Cemetery. It's an RT broadcast. I'm not sure if it's an RT produced documentary called One Million Dubliners. If you can come across it, it's absolutely brilliant as a documentary. But that's Glasnevin. Is there anywhere in the world, in the democratic world, certainly, uh, that a leader of a democratic nation is assassinated, and there is no national commemoration statue to him,
8: except here. Well, I, I don't. Well, I suppose one could argue, and and um, I'd say Tim Crowley and, and Noel Scandal certainly would argue that, um, in the absence of any um, major statue of Collins in in either Dublin or Cork city, that the only that that the statue of Montana tana Kilty at the moment is is a national commemoration, but certainly that's the only statue that's the only full size statue of Collins uh, in this country. But there's the none in our of cities. In Park. There's none in our st- well, there's a bust of them in Fitzgerald Park, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I would say that probably the, it's it's the only country in the world that doesn't have a, a, a major city with with a statue like that of essentially, uh, as you say, I would argue the person who did more than anyone else during the War of Independence to achieve independence for this country. And as they say was essentially the first leader of an independent irish state and in in, in and you know established its democratic institutions it's garrity it's it's um, you know it's army etc uh, you know it's it's as i say it's democratic you know it's democratic institutions and and for the him then to be you know obviously killed well some would say you know rather than assassinated, he was actually killed in action at bayonet Law. yes but um either way obviously he died tragically in, in, in in his, I think is his thirty first year. He wasn't yet thirty two. Um, and as I say, you know, that he's the great. What could have been? What could he have done had he lived? And um, you know, I mean, there is obviously debate about that. I, w- I would, I would say this. Okay, it's all theoretical, obviously, but I would say he would have done great, more great things for this country. And um, yes, I, I would say it is probably the only country in the democratic world, or indeed in, that that you know, the leader of the first leader of the new democracy. Um, who was killed? Um, you know, yeah. at the beginning of that process, um, doesn't have a commemorative statue in one of its cities. And look, I, I understand. You know, obviously, this is. You know, this is. Um, you know, there's obviously the civil war You know, issue, but um, look, the T-shirt. Michael Martin has been invited uh, by the chairman of the Michael Collins Commemoration Committee, uh, Garrett Kelleher. Who's, who's a Gael city councillor, by the way, um, to join to address the annual bail in the block commemoration of Leo Radgar to mark the 100th anniversary of Collins' death this year. I mean, that is, that is a major um, step forward, um, and uh, I think it's a sign that the country is moving on from the tragic events of the civil war, and I think that increasingly there is a recognition that there are patriots on both sides of the civil war who are motivated by a genuine desire to do what was best for their country.
1: Yeah, but maybe and maybe it's a sign that Fine Gael and Finnafoil are coalescing in ideals.
8: Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case. I mean, Sinn Feiners. I mean, sh- I mean some, some members of Sinn Fein or some Sinn Fein voters are not not fans of Collins, but others are. Mm. Um, a lot of lot of Sinn Fein uh, supporters are, are also um, would consider Mike Collins a hero.
1: When, when uh, you look at other statues Patrick's that, that, that are that are popular around the place, uh, and, and some of them are misplaced, I think the Christie Ring statue up in the airport should be possibly also on Patrick Street as a representative of our national games. Um, but uh, game yes. uh,
8: I would agree with you that. I think that Patrick Street needs more statues in general.
1: Yeah, other iconic statues, of course, uh, the ones I know of anyway, of course there's the Collins one in Clannock The Annie Moore statue at the corner of the Deepwater Quay and Cove is very much photographed. Uh, Dublin has its heroes amongst them. They have a statue of Van Olivia or as they call it, the Flusie in, in the Jacuzzi. We've got Rory yeah. Gallagher here in statue down at the Paul Street car park. Uh, you know, as a musical icon, although Rory was born in uh, Ballyshannon in County Donegal, he's claimed as a, a cult Cork hero. But Collins in well, particular, think, yeah, C- Collins in particular ha- has, has achieved yeah. cult hero status akin to um, maybe Vasily Saitsev in Russia who was the subject of that movie, Enemy at the Gates, but he's almost like a Che Guevara, Ernesto Che Guevara figure, isn't he?
8: I would say so, yes. I mean, I suppose part of that is due to the the fact that he died so young and died tragically so young, and the the, the enormous amount he achieved in his his very short life. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's phenomenal what he achieved, particularly in the period from 1919 to to 1922, and just in those few short years, the, the, the amount he achieved in terms of and you know fighting the british empire which is at its height at the time to a standstill and negotiating a treaty and establishing you know um an independent irish state and um, for the first time in history i mean i think it's it's his achievements are phenomenal but look i mean as i say i know that there are people who would be from you know the anti-treaty um tradition who who would you know not be as enthusiastic as i am about a statue of collins and um, but I would say that, and I have said this many times before, that I would, I would be ha- more than happy to support uh, the erection of a statue from the an- someone from the anti-treaty side of the Civil War, someone like Liam Lynch or Tom Barry or Liam D.C. or the Wallace sisters, um, particularly if the necessary funds are raised beforehand and the statue is presented to the Cork City Council as is the proposal here. So, I mean, it's not... Is the statue know,
1: ready or does it have to be made yet?
8: It has to be made, like the first step is, as I say, put down um, the motion to Cork City Council, okay, that'll be on the agenda at the next council meeting, which is next Monday, it's then likely to be sent from there to the, commemorate, the Centenary Commemorations Committee, I'm also a member of that committee and I'd be hoping to send it from there back to the council meeting in September, so it'll hopefully all going to panel be voted on in September. If it's then but can we not have a
1: vote before his 100th anniversary on the 22nd of August?
8: Well, ideally, I would like there to be a vote on it, um, and it's announced on that at, date, maybe at the at the council meeting next next Monday. But uh, unfortunately, it tends to, you know, I, I think that they'll probably send it to the, the centenary commemorations committee. But look, September—I mean, it's still in the in the year of of Collins's death. And as I say, if it's passed by the city council, the fundraising campaign will almost immediately begin as a result of that, um, and. Look, I mean, again, the, the, the Green Party, um, the Council of the Green Party would have voted against um, my proposal the last time. But, um, you know, the image of Collins, I would say, with a bicycle is probably the most famous image of any Irish person with a bicycle. Um, and I'd be hopeful that they, that the Green Party this time would have, would embrace that image as being a great advertisement and boost for, you know, environmentally friendly transportation and draw attention to the fact <laughs> that 100 years ago, an important historical figure like Collins even then preferred to use a bike instead of a car. As a means of transportation, so okay. I, I think that I think that it, it hopefully will appeal um to parties across the board, but the the first step that obviously no fundraising campaign can can happen until it is passed by the city council. but if, if so, as I say, all the city council all we're proposing the city council to do is facilitate its placement. the, 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 the funds will be raised. the city council doesn't have to have any involvement, that the funds will be raised. The statue will be commissioned. The statue will be created, and it will be presented to the city council. And at that stage, all the city council will have to do is to is to is to facilitate its placement in a suitable location in Cork City. I, I ideally would like to see it in Patrick Street, but I'm I'm open to, you know, open to, as long as it's somewhere in a suitable location in Cork City centre. I I would be happy. And what as about
1: the Jack Charlton easy. statue? That's I, I believe in, in in the upstairs of the airport building somewhere.
8: Yeah. Look again. I'm a fan of Jack I think he did. I think he did. I think he did great things. Um, for obviously for Irish soccer and and you know in terms of boosting morale for the whole country. And um, so I mean, look, I would be a fan of, of Jack Charlton. I I, do, I don't know where necessarily a suitable location would be, but I mean, and um, certainly I think that um, a statue of Collins. Um, you know, I, I, w- I would hope that it'd be placed prominently um, somewhere in Cork City Centre, ideally Patrick Street. All right. In, one, f-
1: one, one final question. As most Corkonians who open their newspapers or open social media over the weekend were saying, been there, who done that? To uh, the father of temperance, Father Matthew, who had a wheelie bin put in his head over the weekend. Do you think There's- Collins' statue at ground level would be treated with more reverence? Would it almost be... Unlucky or a Pishog, don't don't mess with the Michael Collins statue. You'll have bad luck. Or is that something that could happen? Will he be treated with reverence? Do you think?
8: I'd like to think he would be treated with reverence. As I say, he's certainly revered and always has been by by Senegalese people. And I would say that that you know supporters of Finafall and Sinn Fein and, and other parties would have a, a degree in some of respect for him, and in some cases would be big fans of his. So and um, and look, I mean, even people who are not interested in politics at all. Um, I would say would have a certain, you would know about Collins, maybe they'd seen the movie with Liam Neeson, and they would have, um, you know, they would have, I, I think there would be a degree of reverence uh, for Collins among the vast, vast majority of the population, which is why consistently in polls that are take that take place about the greatest Irish man and uh, whoever lived, um, Collins always comes out on top. Okay. Always is a way the most, <laughs> that the person voted for, the most by the vast majority of Irish people, or well, not by the majority, but he always comes out on top as, you know, the person, the choice of the most, you know, the choice of the most people yeah. to be as the as the greatest Irish man that ever lived, and I, I will, I, that obviously says it all.
1: Okay, anyway. and uh, as we speak, of course, the site of his death in May was uh, is now undergoing extensive upgrade ahead of the special centenary commemorative event. Uh, which yes, is on really August twenty first. I believe it'll be intended by antishuk and Antonishta, and uh, what you're saying is, Meall Martin has now been invited to speak as well.
8: Well, yeah, as the Tishuk, yeah, he was in, in um, so it'll be addressed by both Meall Martin and Leo Radgar as Tishuk and Antonishta. And again, that's the first time that a leader of Fianna Fáil will address the um, law. Um, and as I say, that was he was invited to that by the Mikey Collins Commemoration Committee. You know, whose chairman is is a city councilor as well, councillor Garrett Keller, and as I say, that is indicative of, you know, this country. Uh, you know, is the fact that this country is moving on from the tragic events of the civil war, and you know, and an increased recognition that look that there were patriots on both sides of the civil war. And, yeah, and, and, and that's, they, that's that's the dichotomy which caught
1: Collins when when, when he had to when he had to fire on the four courts. Either if he didn't do it, the British would put boots on
8: the ground and do it instead. Yeah, and, and yeah, and look, I mean, I'm not going to get into a, a debate about that, but yes, I mean, the, the British certainly did force his hand at that point. In time. Yeah, all right, um, th- th- thanks, Mila. We watch it with and interest. What we'll, we'll... we wanted was, British soldiers coming into Ireland, and and you know, I mean, maybe using it as an excuse to stay here. Um, so it was a very uncertain time uh, for all involved. And look, they, and arguably, they would not have even got to that point, and um, where, where the British were leaving, were it not for the phenomenal um, efforts of Collins during the War of Independence.
1: Okay, we'll watch it with interest. Will a you a keep us updated, population. Councillor Shane O'Callaghan? Uh,
8: I will, of course, Mick. Uh, Thanks I, for I, having me on.
1: I think, especially in, in the centenary year, the, the impetus is there now. Uh, you know, the moral imperative is there to recognise uh, the great Michael Collins on our main street, uh, in his in his native city, I suppose.
8: It is his na- it is his native city, and he was always proud of Cork, man. I, mean, I know he was from West Cork, but um, he was a pro Corkman, and, and I think there will be a certain. It will be fitting for the City Council to facilitate this because um, when City Hall was destroyed by the Black and Tans um, on the 11th of December 1920 during the burning of Cork, and um, as you know, the necessary funding for the reconstruction of City Hall were actually specifically secured by Collins from the Great British government um, during the treaty negotiations.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Know that's, that. That's, that's news to me. Yeah.
8: It wasn't The new City Hall wasn't officially unveiled until 1932 by De Valera, but actually the funds uh, necessary for it were demanded and secured by Collins from the British government as part of the treaty negotiations. So Collins had a had a deep attachment to his native city, you know, his city, um, which was Cork City, um, and he was a proud Cork man on his life.
1: So perhaps it's time for City Hall to pay it back. Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, thank you very much for joining us this morning on thank the Neil right. Prandeville Show. Thanks. More in a moment.
3: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104
1: 106. Red FM. 10.30 on this Monday morning, uh, Independence Day, of course, for all our American friends, uh, the 4th of July. And we've got Philip on line one. Hi, Philip. Uh, hi, Michael. How are you? Very good. You say a statue of Michael Collins is
9: long overdue. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And um, plus as well, one to trail Max Moxiv August um, uh, uh, Ternus McSweeney, August, um, 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 <laughs> oh good God, the other Lord Mayor is what I could be. Tomas McCartan. Tomas McCartan, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do apologize, I do apologize. You know, make, can I preface this whole interview by saying that um, um, I'm beginning to wonder, right, at this hour of my life, what country I'm living in, right, uh, It's that everywhere I go, right, you know, I see Ukrainian flags flying, and I don't know whether I'm living in Ukraine or whether I'm living in the Republic of Ireland, you know. It's kind of, um, you know, I'm a misnomer these days, right. And um, I'd like to think, right, that I'm living in the country, right, that I grew up in and that my parents grew up in and my grandparents grew up in, right? And it's, um, Ukrainian flags everywhere, right, but we're very, very, you know, sparse on our own national flag. So, I mean, I'm after prefacing this conversation, by saying that, right, you know, I had to get that off my
1: chest. No, no, that's fine, but I would venture that the Ireland that your uh, grandparents grew up in might have been occupied itself by a
9: foreign force. I agree with you there, right? Uh, I've seen old movies um, um, of cock right? and Cock was uh, bedecked with uh, Union Jacks and so forth, but th- th- that was the sign at the times. So I do know that, right? You know, but uh, yeah. Um, but then afterwards, right? We became a, a you know a free state, and afterwards a republic, and we have our own national flag and. Yeah, I think it's totally representative of the uh, vast majority of us anyhow, right, you know? So I'd love to see it fly more often, bit, particularly outside civic buildings, right, and state buildings and stuff. Like, for instance, I live very close to Yall. i'm uh, in the Castle Martyr region. And uh, I go for coffee every day, right, to Yall simply because, right, I have to bring my little grandson to school, right, in Yall, mm-hmm. and uh, pick him up. So when I take him to school, uh, I go for uh, coffee. Right, I, I like to have every really good coffee in the morning, right? You know, and I sit down in this little coffee bar. I won't advertise it, but it's directly across, right? You know, from the uh, civic offices in the which is a beautiful building. Three flagpoles outside, flags for everything flying, right? But no national flag, you know. I think that's a disgrace, to be quite honest about it, right? You know? So, I mean, I, I've
1: I've not seen the Ukrainian. No, I have in houses and that kind of thing, but I've not really. On, on buildings that are open to the public, uh, be they ah, private yeah, yeah. business or else. I, I've not seen the Ukrainian flag fly without the
9: Irish flag, uh, not generally. You go down to Yall now and you go up the mall, right now, and there you see it outside. The civic offices in Yall. there's the Ukrainian flag flying high outside our own public building and uh, no Irish flag whatsoever, none, and I mean that sincerely. You'll have every flag... For every little cause and everything up in the flagpoles there. There are three flagpoles and uh, no Irish flag, and I think that's pathetic, you know. Yeah, they're, they're, for they're... instance, right, okay, I, I'll give you one instance, right, I'll give you another instance of what's going on. Um, Like, for instance, right, I pass through Ladies' Bridge every day, you know Ladies' Bridge?
1: I do, and he, lovely East Cork.
9: Yeah, East Cork, yeah, yeah, I guess I, I, I live very close, right, close by, and yeah, um, down below in Ladies Bridge, there's a, a national monument, and it's dedicated right to the Manchester Martyrs. This one is very, very few Fenian um, monuments you will find in the entire country, but this one, in particular, right, is dedicated right to the three Manchester Martyrs who were Fenians, but two of them actually came from the locality down here, Allen and O'Brien. And right next to it, right, we have the national flag pole, the flag pole, and uh, the tricolour was removed and the Ukrainian flag topped us, you
1: know. In, in flag um, etiquette, and I, I'm only coming at this from an, a nautical perspective, there's yeah. very, very strong naval flag etiquette, there's very, very strong, you know, cruising sailboat, motorboat flag etiquette, uh, in, in that your national flag must always be flying the highest.
9: I agree. Yeah, and that's what I thought as well, and I think that's the protocol as well, as directed by the government in this country, but it seems that nobody adheres to it, right, and you know, these things are just left there and they're left flying, and you know, to be quite honest about it, I really don't think people notice these things anymore, for whatever reason, I don't know, right, you know but I'm look, I'm proud to be Irish for all our faults, or failings, but we also have a good side, right, but at the same time, right, you know, it is our country right, it's your country, it's all uh, our listeners, country, right, and even from those that have come from abroad into this country, right, that have, you know, I- embraced this country uh, because I have lots of Polish friends. My daughter-in-law is Polish, right. I, li- I have a little half Polish, uh, half Irish uh, um, um, granddaughter, right. She's, she's uh, she'll be one next week, right, and I I have a little half uh, Finnish and a half uh, Irish grandson who's nine years old, you know, and those that come into our community and embrace our community and live amongst us, right, they're as Irish as you or me, right, you know. But that's what I love, right, you know, this integration is lovely, but unfortunately, it's not widespread, right, you know. It's not widespread.
1: Okay, is, 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 is the title Ukrainian an all-encompassing one which covers people from the west of yeah. Ukraine who, who are not technically in the war zone, who could possibly yeah. be traveling here, yeah. Yeah. As, as against war refugees who are in the East and the Donbass and Mariupol uh, and those areas, uh, is there a distinction made as to whether there's a genuine flee from conflict? Uh, And I don't want to be so crass about this, but are we looking at economic tourism?
9: Uh, Well, that's a great question, right? And I actually think you just uh, hit the uh, nail with the hammer, right? You know, a lot of it is economic tourism. Um, Look, I I, I study history, I I study geopolitics, right? I know what's going on, right? You know, uh, um, like, for instance, right, most people don't discuss this, right, um, but we say we take the Donbass region, right, which actually incorporates the two provinces, right, Are they're, they're now deemed to be republics of Luhansk and uh, Donetsk. Um, they're all Russian-speaking people, right, and uh, traditionally it was always a Russian enclave. And uh, to be quite honest about it, right, since the maiden revolution in 2014, that place has been under constant attack by the Ukrainian forces, right. What most people don't discuss is the fact, right, that 14,000 innocent civilians in those particular regions, right, have actually been killed and slaughtered by indiscriminate uh, Ukrainian shellfire and stuff like that. So when they declared their republics, right, it did give the Russians an opportunity to move in, right, as they were, you know, so-called protecting their people, right, and protecting Luhansk and Donetsk, right, because it does appear... Now, I can't confirm this, but it does appear, right, that the actual Ukrainians, particularly the nationalist side of their army, were lining up, right, you know, to wipe out Luhansk and Donetsk once and for all. So, like, that probably adds a little bit of credibility, if not an awful lot of credibility, to uh, Russia's claim, right, you now that they were going into the denazify fighter place, right, and not only that, right, you know, to bring peace and protection to the area, but... With regards to all the fighting all the fighting that's going on right is actually going on in that particular region which is the eastern part of ukraine and that's where the huge huge and i mean absolutely huge genuine refugee problem is you take the city of mariupol like for instance right which was the home of the azov battalion and uh, the fight they put up, right? You know, uh, particularly the taking of the Azov steel plants, right? That city was decimated, not just by the Russians who were trying to take the place, right? Fighting uh, street by street, house by house, right? But also by indiscriminate Ukrainian shelling, right? And um, I've seen the pictures, right? I've seen the movies, right? I've seen everything with regards to Mariupol and other parts of uh, that particular region. And the tragedy that's after falling on the people over there, right, it is absolutely horrendous. They've lost their homes, they've lost their livelihoods, they've lost their lives, they've lost their limbs. What about the
1: people indiscriminately bombed in a shopping centre miles from the conflict zone just to tacitly send a message to the G7 leaders? Well, uh, that well, was
9: very see, crass uh, of putin yeah uh, look michael it's like this right okay no I, uh, look i'm not saying there's two sides to every story right russia claims that right, okay it was a false flag event right the other crowd are saying right okay it was um, um you know a deliberate attack on the shopping area but let's be honest here right? You know we have to right like, russia describes this right as an ongoing military operation there is a difference between an ongoing military operation and all-out war In an ongoing military operation, what you actually do is, right, you take out military and strategic targets, right? In a war, you take out the infrastructure and uh, everything with regards to the infrastructure. The Russians have not, by any circumstances, taken out any infrastructure in the entirety of the Ukraine. The only places that they have taken out, we say, would be rail yards, which are shipping weapons from the west, uh, west, uh, eastwards, right, okay, to continue on with the war, and it's, you know, it, it, that's the reason why, I'm not saying I'm pro-Russian, no I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm pro-Ukrainian, I am not, right, I'm just trying to keep a balance here on the whole thing.
3: But can, right? can, can
1: the war be ended without ramping up the, you know, the body bag count, can, can it be ended without NATO and Europe going in aggressively and risking the threat of all-out nuclear war?
9: Well, you see here, here in the 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 operation, right? okay. it it appears right, you know, and it, this is not circumstantial, but it's pointed to the fact that this is a NATO-induced war, and uh, NATO actually caused this war, right? And uh, Russia, in in response, replied, right by the, actually taking coming into the uh, republics of Luhansk and, and Donbas, uh, 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 sorry, Donetsk, right. Um, can it be stopped? Yes, it can. Right. If uh, Mr. Zelensky, right, i so will be quite honest about it. Right, had agreed to the Minsk terms, which were part of the uh, supernatural um, agreement. Right, that was brought in after 2014. Right, to recognise these regions and to give them some part of autonomy. Right.
1: So, what's mean, what's right? the upshot here? Are we look. At, are we looking at the annexation for Russia of the eastern part of the Ukraine, a peaceful settlement, and and a much uh, smaller Ukraine? eventually gaining access to the European Union and the markets?
9: Well, you see, here and now, like another rub, right, you know, I I, I think from the um, uh, United Nations perspective, right, Ukraine is actually not recognized as a region, uh, It is not, not recognized as a country simply because, right, you see, you cannot be recognized right, as a sovereign state if other states, right, have actually claims on your territory, as do Poland. So right. it'll end up like Czechoslovakia? Absolutely, yeah. And so there are no clearly defined borders, right, in in actually Ukraine, because Russia has a claim to it, as does Poland, as does parts of Moldova, as do parts of Romania, as do parts of uh, the Czech Republic as well.
1: So So let me pose you this question, Philip, rhetorically even. Uh, If the east of Ukraine should have been returned to Russia, as Russia would contend that it's Russian, uh, and they're denazifying it, why weren't the soldiers welcomed with open arms when they crossed the border first? Why is there such fierce resistance?
9: That's coming from the Ukrainian nationalists. The people, right, it appears, right, that the people in these regions, right, um, are welcoming the Russians big time. The Russians are actually supporting them, right, with regards to food. They're refugees. They're looking after them. they build built hospitals, right, field hospitals. They're feeding them, right. They're looking after them. They, they work. And that's, you see, that's where all the lies are coming in, the propaganda are coming in, right? We're being fed propaganda, left, right, and center, right? And people don't know what to believe anymore. But you have to delve into it, right, you know? You have to take away the fog that blurs everything, because remember this, Michael, the first casualty in war always is truth, right? And, um, the, the, like, for instance, right, yes, they were. They were welcomed with open hands. They really were, right? And uh, like, if you want to check it out, right, there's independent journalists over there, right, you know, and they're reporting on this thing the whole time, right. One in particular a guy called Paul Lancaster. He has a series of videos up, right. He's absolutely excellent. He's actually an ex-US uh, um, uh, military person. Uh, his reports from Upland all this region, right, are absolutely fantastic. He speaks Russian as well, and um, you, you, you can see it. You can see the people living in basements, people lacking medicine. Right, the Russians coming in, right, you know, giving them the medicine. Right, and this man, this man is not a, a, a propaganda strike. Right? This man is showing it directly as it happens.
1: On, but, the, but the Russians opened emergency corridors in the east, and then they bombed people who tried to use them. That's not no, military not, operation. That's war.
9: No, 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 they did not bomb the... <laughs> no, we're being told they did. No, they didn't. They were actually shelled by the Ukrainian forces. You see, this is the problem, right? So, are we're
1: we being so fed misinformation much as, as all of the Russian public are being denied correct information?
9: Yeah, but, you see, we're being denied uh, information as well. You have to ask yourself the question, why are all the Russian news sites and those supporting Russia and those that adhere to, uh, you know, Russia, why are they all banned? Why are they all censored? Why is the European Union, right, put a blanket ban, uh, uh, ban on all of these news sites, right, that would say anything positive about Russia. You see, uh, what I'm actually thinking, right, you know, um, I don't know who's running the European Union, I'd be quite honest about it, I actually think, Reginald, right, you know, that uh, what's going on here is that America is running the whole show, even in Europe, right, and, I mean, the way they're loading up um, uh, uh, Ukraine with weapons and everything else, right, this is absolutely crazy. The Ukrainians at the moment are fighting a last cause, right? I'll be quite honest. Now, where is all the fighting? Okay, my apologies. A now. But, uh, hang on a second.
1: Hang on a second. If if Russia stops fighting, there's no more war. If Ukraine stops fighting, there's no more Ukraine.
9: Ah, you're wrong there. Yeah, you're wrong there. With regards to the Minsk agreements, right? You know, Yes, there is a defined Ukraine. right? There is a defined Ukraine. And that actually did incorporate, that did incorporate the two regions of Luhansk and Donetsk, right, and the whole Donbass region over there, right, and it's just that they gave them partial autonomy.
1: That's all. Okay, I'm 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 out of time, but listen, I'm, Philip, we're a long way from what we started with the Michael Collins statue. Uh, okay. Do you think Do you think there'll be statues to Volodymyr Zelensky in, in the fullness of time? Uh,
9: I wouldn't think so, not even by the Ukrainian people. No. All right, really fair don't. enough. All right, God bless, Mike. thanks, talk.
1: Philip. Thank you. Okay. And uh, if you're wondering why Russia is after Ukraine, here's a text I sent to Neil uh, some months ago uh, for those who, who ask, why does Ukraine matter? Well, here's why it matters. It's the second largest country by area in Europe. It has a population of over 40 million. It ranks first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium ores, second place in Europe and 10th place in the world in terms of titanium ore reserves. Second place in the world in terms of explored reserves of manganese ores. Over 2.3 billion tonnes, or 12% of the world's reserves. It's second largest Irish ore, uh, iron ore reserves in the world. It's got 30 billion tonnes of iron ore. Second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore reserves. Third and 13th in the world in shale gas reserves. Fourth in the world by total value of natural resources. Just let that one sink in. Fourth in the world by the total value of natural resources, seventh in the world in coal reserves. And its most important agricultural features, of course, is its first in Europe in terms of arable land, third in the world by area of black soil. It's got 25% of the world's black soil. First place in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil, second in the world in barley production, fourth in barley exports, third largest producer and fourth largest exporter of corn in the world, fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world, fifth largest rye producer in the world, fifth place in the world in bee production, 75,000 tonnes, eighth place in the world in wheat exports, ninth in the world in production of chicken eggs, 16th place in the world in cheese exports, and Ukraine can meet the food needs, wait for it, of 600 million people, 600 million people. And in the industrial context, it's first in Europe's ammonia production, uh, second uh, in, in Europe and fourth in the world uh, with the largest natural gas pipeline system, third largest in Europe and eighth largest in the world in terms of installed capacity of nuclear power plants. I, I can go on and on and on. Uh, fourth largest exporter of turbines for nuclear power plants in the world, fourth largest manufacturer of rocket launchers. Uh, the list goes on. But Ukraine matters. That's why uh, its independence is important to the rest of the world. And uh, to me, anyway, these resources is why Russia is chomping at the bit to take it. But I thank Philip for that very informed discussion.
3: This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text in WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Red FM.
1: Nine minutes to 11. Good morning, Rachel
7: good morning mick how's
1: it going no i'm very good you lost your nail kit now this had thousands of euro worth of equipment in it while you were up in cool mine women's residential treatment in limerick now just to explain cool mine is a drug and alcohol treatment center providing community day and residential services to men and women with uh, problematic substance use uh, and also provide services to their families now you were up there helping to do people's nails were you
7: no, I, I was working up there in the women's residential for the weekend and I brought my nail case up there to treat the women because we'd do things like that. We'd have self-care nights. So they're really into beauty and nails and stuff. So I was after bringing my nail case up for the weekend to, to treat the ladies. And when I came home last night, Mick, I parked my car across the road from my house and I removed my case and my overnight bag and a few my luggage and stuff. And by the time I came in home to turn off my alarm, I actually closed my door. So it was my own fault. I left the nail case outside my car for a few minutes. Um, but before, by the time I realized that my nail case was outside, it was actually gone so um, one of the neighbours um, had it on CCTV that there was a man passing that actually picked it up and he knocked on a few doors so God love him, he was trying to find out who owned it but he actually went away with the case
1: Okay, so it wasn't robbed per se it was it was picked up and, no. and somebody tried to find the owner
7: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely it wasn't robbed at all I'd say this man now just didn't want to leave it at the side of the road basically, you know
1: Okay, and this has, has massive uh, sentimental as well as monetary value for you, doesn't it?
7: It does, make like, I'm in recovery myself, and I actually built this case for over the last four years. Every week I was building on the case, like, you know, I was buying bits every week, so the value of this stuff would be a couple of thousand. Like, I had everything in it um, to do with nails and beauty, so it was a very large beauty box, and it was full with stock. Everything I have was in the box, you know?
1: Okay, so you're... Your your dad gave you this box uh, to kind of celebrate your sobriety. You'd hit it. You'd hit a kind of a landmark length of sobriety, and he gave you the case.
7: Yeah, my dad bought me the box, and I filled it then with all the stock, like so. That even the box itself would be expensive, do you know. Um, and and my father would know that I loved the beauty and the nails for years. So I was building on that over the last couple of years. Okay, and so and you're you're living in the in, you're in
1: the Blackpool <laughs> area, yeah.
7: I am, yeah
1: Okay, this is a large silver hard case metal box It's kind of a flight case, is it?
7: It is, it has four wheels and a handle And it looks kind of like a suitcase But it opens out into a big beauty box
1: Okay, we'll we'll put an appeal out for it Tell me about your own uh, addiction Uh, Was it alcohol addiction, substance abuse?
7: No, I'm in recovery from substance abuse and alcohol Um, I'm in recovery since 2018 So Congratulations Thanks mate um, and the beauty would have been a huge part of my recovery as well, you know. And um, it's just something I loved, and, and it's a good distraction and something positive. Like so, it's great that the girls love it as well now in early recovery. Um, so we miss that now over the next couple of weeks, you know.
1: Yeah, and and the uh, your your own story, it's it's got better since 2018, obviously. Uh, how how well, bad how bad was it in in, in your worst moments?
7: Um, well, I lost everything um, because of being an addiction. Like obviously, I lost everything. I ended up, um, I ended up with no home. Um, I ended up with no job, no family around me. Um, people were, I suppose, uh, due to my addiction. Like people were, um, people didn't want to be around me. You know, I, I, I suppose when, when you're in that place, like it's a very lonely place, but it's a horrible place to be. Like, and, um, I suppose it was just just an awful place to be at the time. Um, I was homeless, and I was very much alone, you know? Um yeah. But it was all down to my own drug use. And I suppose at that time, like, I just realised um, I didn't feel like there was a way out anyway, number one, you know, I've gone so far into it. But um, I suppose then I decided, like, that I needed to um, change my life, or I knew I was going to die. So um, I started working towards trying to get into recovery, and I went into Mine in Dublin. So um, it was actually an old friend of mine um, met me, I met him in town and he was working for Cool Mine and they got me up there then. So that's when my life started to change, like, but up until then, um, yeah, it was horrific. It was a horrible place to be now, to be honest with you. and you it, it takes so, some
1: amount of resolve and determination even to just take that first step and say, you know, enough is enough. Uh, I'm going nowhere but out of this world if I don't stop. Uh, try, try to regroup um, try to get my body back in some sort of shape try to repair relationships with family and those I've let down um, you you made that choice and, and it's been successful since, has it?
7: Oh yeah, yeah, I'm flying out, thank God um, I went back to college and educated myself, I did 14 months in um, Cool Mine in Dublin I did um, 9 months residential and I did 6 months step down and then I went back to educate myself um, because you'd be completely lost I suppose when you come out of recovery you know. And when you come out of treatment, um, and like I was a hopeless case, to be honest with you, when I went in there, I didn't even know it was going to work, but thank God it did, you know. So um, I just came out and I educated myself. I'm in UCC now at the moment and stuff, and I'm working and exhausted.
1: Right, Ra- Rachel, yeah. I- I'm cognizant that the news is coming up, and I haven't got to the, uh, you know, we need to describe the case and the situation. We want to get that back for you, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about your personal situation. So can we do that after news at 11?
7: Yeah, perfect. you very much, me. Thanks okay, Millie. thank you. Thanks, Thanks.
0: bye-bye.
1: Uh, it's now coming up to 3 minutes to 11 on the Neil Prendeville Show with news next. I'm Rory.
0: And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench.
8: That's the Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's
3: Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show.
1: Now, I was talking just before the news at 11 to... Rachel, and uh, Ra- Ra- hi, Rachel joins us again on the line Ra- Rachel, just to recap and we're going to get back to the loss of your, your nail box which is worth thousands in a moment but I'm very interested in uh, in your story you began to tell your story and I'm very interested uh, you kind of mentioned you were a hopeless case before arriving in Cool could you take us through the mechanics of what happened really when, when you made the decision to seek some help how did the services integrate to help you?
7: Um, well, I suppose I came from a very good family home and I had a great upbringing, but it was just a road that I chose to go down. I suppose at the time, um, and the services were absolutely amazing for me. Like back in 2018, when I did decide to that I that I couldn't do it anymore, you know, and I needed help. Um, so I suppose at the time I went into um, at the time I went into a pre-entry group in Cork in Arbor house. Um, and they, they guided me. Basically, they they gave me a clear pathway into Cool um, mine residential. Um, I knew I needed residential. I needed to be removed from society. My life was full of chaos. Um, I suppose at the time, like so, that's what I needed. What's it like um, going
1: going into residential from that yeah. short sharp shock, if you like, of the chaos that you're now leaving behind to yeah. the you know the ultimate, I suppose, it's serenity and quietness and calm and order yeah. in a residential setting.
7: I suppose the first feeling I got from going in there, it is overwhelming when you're going up there and you'd be full of fear, but I suppose at the same time I felt like I I, I, I I'd arrived at a place like where people understood me and where I wasn't judged. You know?
1: And what what um, about the personal withdrawal symptoms? Were, were they were they strong, were they hard to combat?
7: Extremely difficult. Um extremely difficult for the first couple of months in, in Ashley House. I went to Ashley House, it's Cool Mine Women's Residential in Dublin. Um And I suppose the first couple of months were extremely difficult. Like, I wanted to run many times, you know. Um, I didn't feel like I could do it, but, you know, with the support of the staff and my parents, the girls that were there, um, really helped me um, to stay in the program and stick it out, like, you know.
1: Yeah, so do you you get cravings for the drugs you were addicted to? And I I know they will reduce uh, the the further you're away from from your last use, but... Uh, it can not be easy when these, when these cravings come at you and you've, you've got the temptation to run.
7: Yeah, because, like, I suppose for me, like, using drugs was a coping mechanism and, I suppose, being up there, being substance-free, I went up and I did a three-week detox up there and, I suppose, after your detox, your feelings and your emotions start to come back, I suppose, and I didn't know what to do because i was so used to just coping whenever I had a feeling or an emotion or something, I'd use, it, I'd use drugs. I didn't know how to deal with life itself like you know and um, and i found it very difficult that i didn't have a substance to rely on when i was up there but that's where the the program came into it then where the counseling and the group therapy and all the one-on-one that they do up there Um, you know a lot of key working sessions and there was an awful lot of work put into me up there as a client um, and that's where i started to heal then and where i started to grow and where my thinking started to change
1: of course the detox um, must come first and that must be harrowing tell me about that
7: The detox is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I went up and I did a stone detox and it was over a period of three weeks and I don't think I'll ever forget it, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah, it was just horrific, withdrawals, pains. um, But again, thank God I had the support around me. I don't think I would have been able to do it in the community because people have an option also to do it in their community. Um, for me, I wouldn't have been strong enough. Yeah, the
1: temptation would be in the community again. Me- me- methadone will bring you down gradually from heroin addiction, is that correct?
7: Yeah, yeah, well, you stabilize on your methadone before um, you can go into treatment. So while you're, while you're trying to stabilize on methadone, you reduce your heroin use. <clears throat> and then, like, obviously your heroin use comes down, and then you're stable on your methadone, and that would kind of hold you then, you know. And you keep the withdrawals at bay and stuff. So then you go into treatment then to, well, I went into cool Ashley house, to reduce off my methadone, which they do it then over a three week period. Okay.
1: substance and, and and did some bright sunny morning you wake up and say, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm after bottoming out. There, there's nowhere now but for me to go back up. I'm coming out of the the trough.
7: Definitely. Yeah. I think like it was after the first couple of months and stuff, and then I started to when I when I started to feel things and I started to build relationships very slowly with good people that I had in my life previous, you know, and family members and stuff. Um. I suppose that gave me more hope as well. Um, to just kinda keep going, you know. Um and, and it gives you it just gives you a bit of hope to work towards something, I suppose, as well. And it wasn't an option for me to go back. Like I said, like I, I knew I was gonna die. It wasn't an option, like my head was completely gone, my life was in chaos. Um and, you know, like I said, like I would have been a very chaotic user. I would have caused a lot of trouble while I was in my addictions, you know. Um, so I suppose like trying to try and leave all that behind me was um, was a challenge.
1: Yeah, uh, and is it the fact that you're not essentially in prison that you can actually walk? That you have to build up your reserve to say, "I'm going to get these temptations to walk and go back. It's going to be the, ultimately the worst thing I could do. So I'm going to have to brave through these cravings and addictions and, and and stay and stay with the people who are helping me."
7: Yeah, yeah, it's it it, it, it is like it's like it's, it's two choices, I suppose. It's either go back and, and die and end up in jail. It's institutions are dead um or change our life and you know it's a a hard road but it's i wouldn't swap it for the world now like you know my whole life has changed um you know and looking back now like um sometimes it feels like it wasn't even me you know sometimes i look back and i feel like i don't know it's like an outer body experience like um but yeah like i have a lot a lot of stuff in my life today like that i'm very grateful for like and i wouldn't swap it for the world
1: Yes, yeah, so, so so the the relationships if you like that your addictions damaged uh were allowed by the, those who were damaged to be repaired because they love you uh do you now value those relationships more than you do you think you did at the start
7: oh most definitely um and it's all the simple things that I love today like you know even just the family time spending time with my niece and nephew and my son um it's all that's what matters to me today like you know um and, like, it's it's just finding a new love again, like, um, a love for yourself, I suppose, as well, and, and just trying to live a good life, you know. Um, I feel like i got a second chance at life, like, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So you're
1: um, very you know. proud of yourself now?
7: I am today, you know, are yeah, It was a hard road, but I wouldn't change it for the world.
1: Now, now, to get back to the story and the reason you rang us, and thank you for being so open and brave and, in, in discussing your, your your fight back for normality and sobriety. Uh, but you, no. you you were now giving giving a little back you were going up to Coolmine uh, women's residential treatment center in Limerick doing a little bit of work there day in residential services and for the ladies you were doing uh, doing nails because that personal care and that personal enhancement if you like is is central to their uh, rebuilding of their own self-worth and and for ladies especially uh, nails they're a big thing nails and lashes.
7: Yeah, yeah, and it brightens up their week, like they look forward to it, you know, because it's tough up there with all the group work during the week, so at the weekends we try and do stuff that they like to do, we're trying to help them find new hobbies and new interests and stuff, and I suppose you really let yourself go when you're in addiction, obviously, and just to find that little bit of self-care again and a bit of self-worth and a bit of self-love, like they love it, like, so... um yeah, like so. So I br- I bring up my nail stuff. Um, I'm working in the car. um cool mine part time, and then I'm just doing a few hours then up in the Limerick residential because they're only open a couple of weeks, like I was saying. But I absolutely love it, like, and and to, even when I brought up the nail case, their faces light up like they, you know, we love it, like, and they even wanted me to show them how to do nails and stuff. So we had plans to do this over the coming weeks with them and um, on the weekends to give them something to look forward to. And a few of them were even thinking that they're going to go into the beauty business when they get out, when they finish their treatment. So it was great to see that bit of hope in them and give them something positive to focus on, you know? And
1: it's, it's not um, just somebody volunteering to do their nails, I guess. Uh, it's someone they can chat to while their nails are being done, who's, who's been through the process, through the system.
7: Yeah. And we do have chats and stuff like that. Like So it's great that they can get a bit of hope as well, because the same was done for me when I was in... When I was in residential, I would have looked up to a lot of women that were further on in the programme or women that would have came in and done voluntary work or would have helped out, um, even staff there and stuff. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for all their support. So that's what I was hoping to give the girls as well, you know, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that you can change our light, you know.
1: So when when did you volunteer to to go back and and help out in the the Cool Mind centres? And when did they accept you? When did, did they know you were ready to be accepted?
7: Yeah, I I would have done, like, I would have done an awful lot of work on myself, to be honest, Mr. Mick. Like, it's not a case, like, you come out of treatment and you're cured. Um, I'm still doing counselling ongoing for the last four years. Um, I do a lot of inner work. I would have done, I'm in a 12-step fellowship. Um, I'm constantly doing work on myself, and I know that needs to be done for me to progress, I suppose, in life. Um, So, I suppose, after two years of sobriety um i was offered a position in you know uh, i suppose um cool mine came to cork they branched down to the southern region and i actually went up to set up a graduate group because if you go through cool mine you can be part of a lifelong graduate group so it doesn't matter how long you're in recovery you will always have this group to come to if you have any issues with life or if you need any support we'll always be there so i went up to volunteer to set up that group and i suppose I had a good chat with the team leader up there and um, they actually offered me a part-time position as claim coordinator for North City and South City Cork. So um, it took off from there then. And then I suppose I, I would know a lot of the staff from going through the programme myself over the last couple of years. So then when they opened up the women's residential, um, yeah, I, I got a position up there on the weekends and stuff. So I love it.
1: Fantastic. And all was going well until last night when your alarm was going off in your house. You live in the Blackpool area. And yeah. uh, you put down your things, went in, inadvertently closed the door. And the nail case, which I believe was a present from your father to celebrate your sobriety, uh, yeah. was taken by somebody. But it doesn't look like they stole it because on CCTV they were going around knocking on doors trying to find its owner. And now you're hoping to get it back.
7: Yeah, I really am. Um, it take me a very long time to build it back up again, to be honest with you, and a lot of money So um i suppose i um like i said he wasn't trying to to rob it or anything but the man did knock you could see him clearly on the cctv and um but he walked away with the case so i suppose i rang the guards to see what the handed in and um i rang the guards in mayfield wasn't handed in it i bring blackpool there now again in a minute just to see hopefully he might um pass it in you know
1: yeah So it it, it looks like a good Samaritan who couldn't find the owner of the case. And you you would think then the next step would be handed in to the local guard station. But if anyone's listening or anyone comes across, it's a silver flight case um, containing what's essentially thousands of euros worth of your nail technician equipment. Uh, And it's been used to help uh, and it's been of great help in helping other uh, members of the program through. So, it's, uh, we're getting loads of text, by the way, to say what a wonderful person you are.
7: Oh, thank you very much.
1: What a fantastic lady, Mick. Uh, and, and, and three cheers for that big-hearted girl who's so brave to come on the radio and tell, and I hope she finds her case, and all that kind of stuff coming in uh, on the text machine. Uh, so, it's a silver flight case, hard case, beauty box. You've been building the contents of the box up for years. It's of massive sentimental value because your dad bought it for you to mark your sobriety and your continuing success in in staying straight, yeah. I suppose. Uh, Blackpool area, uh, it's uh, an older man with darker hair, darker long hair, I think, is it? Uh, yeah,
7: yeah. A, a,
1: who was accompanied by what looked like a younger man, so maybe his son. Uh, so right. if, if if they're listening, we can uh, return the, the case to its rightful owner. Um, and uh, I'm sure she'd love to meet you, but the easiest thing would be maybe to hand it into Mayfield or Blackpool Garda Station and uh, they can reconnect you with it. Um yeah. anything else you want to say? It's it, what happens if you don't get it? It's gonna be very difficult for you to continue, is it?
7: I don't know, to be honest, Sister Mick, I was so upset over it and I said I know it's only a nail case, but it just meant so much to us, you know. Um so I just have to start from scratch again, I suppose. It could be a lot worse, like, I just have to get up and get on with it now, like, you know.
1: Well let's hope that the power of live radio will help you yeah. to uh, to get the case back and we thank you for using live radio to to help so many people. Uh, There are lots of people listening, I think, who will take great solace and take great comfort and great support uh, from your brave expression of your own journey. So thank you very much.
7: Thanks very much for giving me the time. All the best, Rachel.
1: Thanks very okay. much. Hopefully we'll Bye. have a happy ending on that one before the end of the programme. Uh, there's a course helping with addiction as well. Rethink Ireland are celebrating the expansion of socially inclusive sports organisations. One of them is a cork-based organisation. It is called Sailing Into Wellness. And they provide sailing courses for people with addiction and with mental health issues. And to tell us all about it, Colin, Colin Healy joins me on line three. Hi, Colin. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Sailing into wellness. You don't. You're preaching to the converted here now. I find sailing makes me feel very well.
10: Excellent. Yeah. Well, funny enough, we we're we're an educational and therapeutic program, and and one of the groups, organisations we work with for, from the very beginning is Cool Mine. and we started in Dublin with them, and we run data programs and uh, and voyages of recovery. So we we, we have a great relationship with Coolmine, and like that that car was speaking about, you know, it's you know, she hasn't let addiction define her, and that's what we try to teach people, that addiction doesn't have to define you, or not as mental health, or any of the other programs that we work with, you know.
1: Yeah. So are, are, we work are with you, you, you began this organisation, I believe, because of your own personal struggles, you had problems in certain areas, maybe mental health issues?
10: Yeah, I, 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 I battled with addiction and, and poor mental health for about 20 years, and, uh, you know, that's just part of my life story, and that's a big thing for us, is, is you know, I've you know, like we, you can use your your life story to, to actually come come from a position of strength, and instead of seeing it as a weakness. You know, so if you can get through this, you can get through most things. You know, like fear and vulnerability are the the two crippling things in in, in early recovery, or in or in addiction, or and in in, in poor mental health, and and. When you can uh, get people out in the water, it's it kind of it's helping them to overcome fears and help and you know working as a team and and, and you know communication skills, problem solving, everything that sailing brings, it 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 just all marries together very well and just helps people in their on their journey. You know, we're we're just a part of people's recovery process, and we you know we we're, we're a. We collaborate with a lot of organizations right around the country now, the deliveries program.
1: Okay, so Sailing Into Wellness is, is your program. Tell me about it. How do people qualify? How do they get involved?
10: Well, we work with community groups and organizations. So, for example, in Cork, we would work with Churchfield Community Trust. We would work with the Life Center, Cork Alliance. We'd work with families with autism, you know, with children and young people with autism. So, there's a, with community organizations, we work with primarily. So, we go work with Cormine in Cork as well. Um, and it's we work with organisations as opposed to individuals, and we, so they're, they're bringing groups to us that would that would uh, benefit from the program. So it's a kind of, it's interacting with their programs.
1: And how in particular do you find sailing helps helps them? And is it a uh, from a beginner to advanced, or is, is it just a sailing experience you offer?
10: So it's experiential learning, right? So if you think about it, you're coming from a, a background where your life is in chaos, and chaos you know you're not going to get anywhere unless you can you can get to a certain level of calmness or of you know and we, we help people just to uh use the sailing as a stepping stone to develop the soft skills that they might have left lost in 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 addiction or in poor mental health and the and we use a therapeutic model called cra community reinforcement of course and by by it's a very light touch program, and, and what happens is, like all the things I spoke about, said there, like the the uh, teamwork, the the problem solving, communication skills, they're all part of it. And, it, and it it comes together nicely, and we're able to help people in their journey.
1: Yeah, and I suppose sailing sailing is not without its accidents either. So if uh, let's say a boat should capsize, they'll need to know what to do as well, won't they, as a team?
10: Yeah, well, we don't actually we don't operate with boats that capsize. So oh, right. We yeah, so we use boats called Hawk Twenties on the smaller boats, and we would uh, there we'd have we'd have one instructor and four participants and a, and a group leader. On each one, we have two of those, and we bring those to different locations around the country. For example, we just finished a program in Greystones. We're in Carlingford this week for a month, and then and we operate out of uh permanently. That's our permanent base, so, and then we we have a progression program. So we bring people from a day sailing program. Right through up to uh, we have a we are very lucky to collaborate with an organisation called uh, the Island Marine School and they have a ship called the Island and it was rebuilt there in Cork. That's right. It was I rebuilt was in Liam
1: Hegarty's yard in uh, in yeah, Baltimore.
10: Yeah, yeah. So we are very lucky to be the primary operators that of that boat now. From, from the from the community aspect, working with community groups, so we we use that. So, for example, it's uh, it, the progression we're trying to get people. Like that, Colle was speaking to you there. Uh, like we've got a guy Owen who's starting. He's he was he's three years now uh, around uh, in recovery. He came through an organisation in Dublin. He started sailing with us, and now he's training to become an instructor with us. Wow, well,
1: that's Owen Barnes, is it? Yeah, Owen. Yeah, yeah, Owen. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Say hello to Colin.
5: Hi, Colin.
10: Morning, Owen. <laughs>
5: Good
1: to that, hear you again. No, Owen, you, you sound very confident. Anyway, you're a 44-year-old from South Inner dublin You've had ongoing drug, alcohol and addiction issues for many years of your life. 26 yes, years of your years. life. And then you came yeah. across the Sailing Into Wellness program about two or three years ago. Yes. T- tell us your story.
5: <clears throat> so my story is that I grew up in Dunleary here. <clears throat> and I've made a lot of bad choices over the years. <clears throat> And I'd gone into drug and alcohol, and 26 years basically as being carnage. But I was giving myself an opportunity to grow in recovery, and I was given a chance to go sailing, which sailing seems to be basically. um, Well, would that have seen not for my kind of people, basically. I I was going to say,
1: from where you were coming from, would you have perceived sailing as a sort of an elitist activity? (laughs)
5: Yeah, I would have looked at it as you know, being people that snobby or people from money class. I come from Dunleary, but I didn't come from sailing clubs. You know, yeah, that's so, in every um, sport,
1: though. That's in golf. That's in rugby. That's in that's in everything. everything.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, just not being given a chance to be on the water, you know. So um, what?
1: What I'd really like to get to here on is if yeah. you could speak from your heart about maybe coming from the chaos of your life. Yes to what is essentially, and the Ilan is a beautifully wooden crafted vessel. Uh, What what was your first trip? I'll never forget the first time that wind filled a sail for me when I was about eight or nine or something. It's just magical. So could you describe that?
5: So just over two years we first left for a voyage down the River Liffey. We were going out towards Docky. We had set sail under. (coughs) And it's just a moment of just sitting up on top of the Ilan. Coming from that chaos and just being connected with yourself and not understanding, would you have a bit of peace? I'm not listening to the chaos around family. I'm not listening to my mind. You know, and um, just being there, like-minded people and being able to take orders and directions from the captain or the skipper or Colin, and you know that that model that they 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 approach that CRA model. You know that community reinforcement approach.
1: Uh, and is, is that sort of, look, guys, I'm the captain. I'm going to have to give you orders. There, there are orders that will benefit the vessel. Yeah. They'll benefit our journey. They'll benefit us as a crew. Uh, you know, I'm not telling you what but to do for any other reason than we, need, we need to be a crew to, to sail this vessel.
5: Yeah. And when we all come together, it was magical. And we could see the boat come faster and we were leaning into the wind and we were standing up to the top of the vessel. It was just a magical moment. Um, so I remember directly coming in that day and saying to Colin, Is there an opportunity for me to come back here? And he looked at me and was like, Right, you know, yeah, these are with me a your number. You know, and I've got many opportunities to go out with him over the years. You know, we're just coming back from Carlinford last we were out there sailing boats from Greystones, and you know, I've got an opportunity to go forward working with the charity.
1: Okay, so you're it's amazing. You're, you're going to become an SIW, a Sailing Into Wellness and structure now, and you're going to pass and pay forward what you've learned, not not just about sailing and about uh, removing yourself from the chaos, uh, but yes. because you've navigated, pardon the pun, the pathway out of the chaos. Yes,
5: and sailing has really, really helped me in that. I'm not used to it, but it's, it's good, you know?
1: Okay, so you're you're... You're on the course now, so we thank you for making yourself available for, for this interview. You're taking a tea break. Uh, so uh, what, what's, what's the course like? Is it fulfilling in itself?
5: Yeah, look, it, 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 it's very strict and demanding. You know, I've got to take in information, I've got to learn things. You know, I'm not used to that bit of problem solving where I've come from, but just slowly taking orders from the team with Colin and Tess. You know, they they've helped me build up that confidence that I can achieve anything today. You know, going forward.
1: You know, while you're talking on live radio yeah. now, imagine imagine thinking that three years ago from the chaos that you'd be yeah. sailing, becoming so, an instructor, talking on radio, uh, and paying forward to other people to help them.
5: That must feel great. Being there to help other people that's going behind me, it's amazing. Someone someone gave me a second chance, which comes the insult but an opportunity in me. You know, and I'm very very grateful, and I'll stand there. You know and say that, and it's just nice to be there for other people coming through.
1: Colin, from where you started, that sort of validation coming from Owen Barnes there, that must make you feel great.
10: <laughs> yeah, well, let's look, it's a team effort here with us. You know, like even today, we're down here with rethink Ireland. Um, you know, without their help, we wouldn't have been. We wouldn't be here today. You know, um, at the, through the sports impact program that they that they get out, and this is the completion of it. Today, we're getting the team out down here today and. You know, there's there's so many different, um, you know, there's it's such a a big team effort here to get you know programs on the water to both keep the boats maintaining, you know, working with the different types of groups and organisations we work with. It's a huge team effort with myself, James, Tess, know, only Connor, said everyone that's involved, and you know, for me personally, it's uh, I take huge pride in 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 seeing on. And others that are coming through you now, you know, and we've got some funding through the ETB, through um, Irish Sailing, through Sport Ireland to, to help train these guys and bring them through and create opportunities, careers for them, you know, and show them that, you know, again, I go back to, it, like, no one should be defined by their mistakes, by their past, and they shouldn't let it happen, you know, and it's, it's up to us and uh, people that have been through the mail, the Ring or ourselves to show them that there's a way forward. And that's what, that's what sailing into endless does. You know, it's as simple as that.
1: Well, you've both opened the door now to people who might be listening who's, who say or might think, I'm going to do that, I'd love to do that. At what point in the addiction cycle, if you like, uh, can you accept people? Do they have to be clean and, and trying hard for a certain amount of time or can they still be in recovery?
10: Nick, we're working with organisations around the country from gay programmes that, that have lads in stabilisation programmes that are on methadone. We're working with guys coming out of prison Guys and girls, we ran a program in Co- with Coomine in Limerick with the ladies in Coomine, and it was unlocked art, and it would blow you away. the the, the reaction and, and the feedback and, and the, the, what they got out of it, you know. And we're going to do a a live-aboard voyage with those girls on the island in, in out of Dublin or out of Cork fairly soon as well, you know. So we, we you know it doesn't matter where they where they're at in their journey, you know. We work with the organisations, we work with their their caseworkers, and see where people are at, and see yeah, look. He's, he's struggling or she's struggling, but I think this would be good for him. So, you know, it's it's not about where they are on their journey, it's where they are with themselves. You know, it's about commitment. They have to, you know, if if people need routine as well, and they need to, and and, and just getting them to commit to doing something like this. It's a huge leap of faith. Fear pays a huge part of it. Vulnerability, and that's what we try to teach them. They can feel, you can feel vulnerable on the water, but you can feel safe because you trust the boat, you trust our team, whereas in life, the vulnerability being vulnerable through addiction or through mental health people can take advantage of that Mm -hmm. people they feel they can be taken advantage of so we just give them a kind of a safe space to learn new skills to express themselves
1: you know Fantastic. It, it, it's something I wouldn't have put together, that, that sailing could be so, as much as I love it, could be so therapeutic for those uh, on the journey towards sobriety, recovery and, 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 and fuller lives. And, and I, I salute your efforts in that regard uh, right across the board. And well done, Owen Barnes, for the steps you've taken. Uh, and may, may, well. may there be many happy sailing miles ahead of you.
10: Yes. We'll have to get you with we'll us. Mick, one of the days. Well, so when
1: you we do, well, when and sail, I'll drop down hundred percent. I saw the Ilan actually anchored there over maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where, where can people see that fine vessel sailing these days?
10: Well, she's going. She'll be out of. She's going to be doing um, today. She's been in Kinsale. Next week, she's going to Limerick, and she's doing a sail training Ireland voyage out of Limerick up to Dublin, but she'll be back in Kinsale for for uh, programs later again in the summer
1: fantastic. Alright, once again uh, entry to the programme, where can people get more information Colin? Uh,
10: sailing into IE. and uh, they get people involved with local community organisations, north side south side of Cork, just, and they can we work with a lot of organisations so they can find out through them as well.
1: Okay. And Owen Barnes to you sir, fair winds and following seas.
5: Thank you very much. All Thank the you best you guys. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, morning. Bye-bye. Get it off your
3: chest. Call Neil Brenderville now on 0818 Red FM.
1: 22 and a half minutes to midday. Sabrina's on line one. Good morning, Sabrina.
11: Morning, Neil. How are
1: you? It's Mick, but don't worry. Uh, I, you're a oh, beauty,
11: Mick, sorry, Mick.
1: <laughs> you're a beauty therapist as well. You're also in recovery. Uh, you're sober six years. You're based in the Yawel area. Uh, so you you were also on this very, very precarious path of addiction. Can you tell me about that from the start?
11: Yes, yeah, it was very, very difficult, I suppose. Like with this disease, alcoholism, um, it's a disease that will tell you you don't have it. So I continued to drink and drink and drink, and my life became chaotic. Um, I tried numerous times to go into recovery, but it told me in my head that, no, you don't have a disease, you're not not an alcoholic. So I went in and out and in and out for a long time, over 10 years, I would say, Mick, and um, it was just like, you know, a chaotic journey in my life just started falling apart and um, I started losing family and friends. I had a very successful business in the beautiful town of Lismore, a beauty salon, and I lost that through my alcoholism. And, you know, I don't have shame in kind of saying that today because I'm in recovery today and I can see why I lost it. And today my life has totally and utterly transformed. I, my family are back in my life. I have some amazing friends through the fellowship. And I've managed to, you know, open up a business again, which is like, I'm very, very proud of, and it's going really well. And I don't have to be, um, I suppose, waking up in the mornings with that fear and anxiety that I used to feel after drink, because I wouldn't remember what I'd done the night before. I'd have blackouts, and a lot of alcoholics would would, um, understand blackouts, and it's, it's a horrible place, you know, it's just alcoholism just took over my life it just Mm. literally took everything from me.
1: Not not to mention what it's doing physically to your body of course, you're in complete denial that you're an alcoholic even though you were drinking yourself to oblivion
11: Yes, and I just couldn't stop it just, you know, even though like I knew what I was doing to myself, I could not stop I found it very, very difficult to stop Um, like near the end, like I knew I was alcoholic um, but still I still went and picked up that drink and kept drinking and drinking and drinking, even though I knew the chaos it was causing around me physically, what it was doing to my body, mentally, even what it was doing to me, like mentally, like is so, was so bad, like, because the brain was just like going and the mind was going and I hated myself um, and I even hated myself more than for not being able to stop drinking and it was a very, very, very difficult journey. And the what, what was what was
1: the low point, Sabrina? When, when did you decide, okay, enough is enough?
11: Well, what happened actually was I like like most alcoholics, like we just kind of come up with these crazy plans and crazy ideas. And my plan was that I'd go gone moving to Gran Canaria. So I packed up all my bags and everything and off I went to Grand Canary because I previously had lived there before for three months in active drinking. So, like, it was easy to kind of drink out there because... Oh, it's was a wash
1: it. with cheap alcohol.
11: Totally, and everybody was doing it. So, like, I wasn't being pinpointed as an alcoholic, because everybody else was drinking. So, like, it was, like, kind of the culture to drink out there. So I decided I was going to move out there and packed all my bags. Off I went and, like... Within two days of being out there, I had just totally and utterly caused so much chaos, so much, you know, destruction to myself and everything like that. That was the point that I realized that if I don't get back out of this country on a plane, that I'm going to be coming home in a coffin. And I knew that from the bottom of my heart, like that I was going to come home in a coffin. And that for me was the awakening point. So I booked a flight. I came back home. And I went straight back into AA and thank God, one day at a time, I haven't picked up a drink since.
1: Is it still one um, day at a time, though, for, for people in your position?
11: One day at a time. We live it one day at a time because um, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what the next hour is going to bring. And this disease is always there. It's always, you know, it's always there. And if we just pick up one drink
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to ask, do do you realise, is it part of the day-to-day fight to go one day at a time, that you're just one drink away, the first drink is all it's going to take, and and everything you've worked for is over again?
11: Is over again, because once you take that first drink, it sets off that chemical imbalance in your brain, and just that one drink will lead to the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and... That's where it leads to. So we it's always the first drink. It's not the second or third drink you drink. It's the first drink you pick up because the first drink you pick up, you won't be able to put it down again.
1: And is the, is there ever a temptation to think, you know, I'm cured now. I'm grand. i will be able to drink moderately and responsibly now. Is there that no. in your in your head ever? You know that it's, it's going to be fatal if you go back.
11: It's fa- I know it's fatal if I go back. I know if I pick up a drink today, I will never get back. You know, I know in my heart today if I pick up that drink that there's no coming back for me. And I've learned that from, you know, from people who have gone back out there and who have picked up a drink and who have died. And I have been to many a funeral of alcoholics who have picked up a drink and died. And I can can see all that around me. And it's so much destruction for the family members of that person that goes back out and picks up a drink because nobody can stop you it's only you that can stop you know you can go into the you can go into the rooms like for your mother your brother your sister your partner but it won't work like it's you you have to be mm-hmm. the one who wants to go in and get you well and get you better
1: Yeah I, I read a book a number of years ago about the life of George Best and uh, there was one telling line in it that you know I can never forget And um, it it really was the sad and tragic case of somebody who couldn't stop. Uh, But that line was, uh, alcohol, once the lubricant of success became the refuge from failure.
11: Yes, yeah, very, very true.
1: So you now have repaired relations with those you hurt, and that's obviously very valuable in your recovery now as well.
11: Oh, so, so important. Like, yeah, it's great. Like, do you know what I mean? I have a great relationship with my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, the nephews, and, um, you know, we're all, myself my sister and my two nephews, we're heading off to Tramore on um, Friday, I'm taking the day off, and I can do those things today, and my sister can come away with me today and know that, like, it's not going to end up, like, in a mad place night, yeah. because I won't be drinking, so, like today in my life is just so so different like
1: and if, if Sabrina people wanted to take the first step let's say there's somebody out there who's in the throes of alcohol addiction and say I wouldn't mind going to that girl's nail salon and having a chat maybe getting my nails done how can they find you
11: um, well I'm in you I'm based in you so I have a beauty room in you it's called um, Sabrina's Beauty Room and um, so I'm there now like I suppose to September before Covid But like also like if people are looking for help, like you just Google like a helpline and there's a phone number there that um, you can Mm. ring. And no matter what area of the country you're in, you'll always be put in touch with somebody in your locality. And what happens from there then is that person will ask you to go, would you like to go to a meeting and they'll meet you and they'll bring you to a meeting and kind of, journey kind of goes from there like you know, we're all there to help each other because I've been where that person at the moment is out there saying I really need to stop drinking and I can't. I've been in that position and all I could say like is anybody out there struggling with alcoholism at the moment like you know there is help out there and no case is hopeless we all felt that when we went into AA first like you know we were hopeless cases but no case is hopeless like there is there is help out there, like
1: and you were listening um, to, you were listening to Rachel's story. have you come across Rachel personally through overlapping in the programs and do you know her
11: no, i don't know her at all actually no, no, but um because you have a very generous, like o- you
1: have a very generous offer you're about to make to her and I just yes. wondered, did you know her? Uh, no, you-
11: I don't know her at all, no.
1: Okay. Well, you have a nail lamp and varnish that you can give to Rachel because you know what it's like. We've also had a text from Derek Bly. He's the builder uh, that we had on at the very start of the program. And Derek, with a big heart, says that he'll donate a hundred euro towards a new case for that girl if she doesn't recover it. And I think we, we probably will get more offers if, if she doesn't get it back over the next few days and, we build her a bigger and better one. This one, of course, has sentimental value because her dad gave it to her to celebrate her sobriety. But very generous of you. A nail lamp and varnish you can give, Rachel, uh, because you know what it's like, um, you know, this yeah. void that's going to be in her life now without this equipment.
11: Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah, because, like, it helps you with your recovery and your passion for your work. It really helps you. And even that, even though having chats with, like, people and the fact what she's doing she's going up there you know to the people in recovery and having the chats and she's actually with those um, people that are like at the early stages of their recovery like Rachel's like helping them so so much just by listening and even just by being able to give them just that little bit of advice and help them through it because she's been where they are so it's like so so important like for she had to continue her work of what she's doing, like so. We'll, we, we'll the... try
1: to help her as well. We're putting an appeal out there. If she doesn't get it back in the next 24, 48 hours, let's see if we can put the full kit back together for her. anyone in the nail uh, technician industry or business that, like, maybe in the, even in the wholesale side, that would like to donate something uh, to. Uh, underpin Rachel's good work and uh, and your Sabrina as well needs to be recognised but Rachel is now particularly without her equipment and we'd like to make that good if we can but thank you very much for your bravery in coming on uh, and for your generosity in, in uh, offering the nail lamp and the varnish to Rachel and for all the good work you continue to do.
11: Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick.
1: Thanks a million. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye. I got engaged at Elton John. Not me. Our next caller.
3: The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106.
1: Nine minutes to twelve. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. Oh, congratulations. You were at Elton John on Friday, and like so many others. Um, but uh, in particular, when your favourite song came on, tell us what happened. Yes.
7: So um, we were at Elton John and we actually had really good seats. So it's kind of different. Um, with the concert, they had kind of seating up by the stage and then the standing behind us. So just as the kind of um, end of the concert was, everyone was up dancing and everything to kind of a few of his uh, most famous songs. And then, like, he sang Your Song, it's my favourite. So the minute they come on, first thought anyway because I started crying straight away. And we were there, I was dancing around, and I kind of looked behind and I saw Martin, my partner, I was well, fiancé now. <laughs> I've turned to his turned his pocket. I was like, no, no, no! I turned around again, and the next thing I looked around, and he was down on one knee. Wow! So I popped out the ring, asked me to marry him. There in front of everyone, it was absolutely amazing. Um, but as you can imagine, a complete and utter blur to us both. So after, someone actually did come up to me, and she had videoed my reaction. So we actually a video of me, my reaction, big dramatic crying, and saying yes and stuff. But we didn't actually get the start of it. And you can see in the video, there was a lot of people taking a lot of vid- videos and photos. So it's kind of starting out in the to see if anyone's got um, anything for the special moment so we can see what, ourselves. Were, were
1: you the only ones, so do you think, that got, that got engaged? Was there more than one?
7: I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but there was the other people.
1: Okay, so if you were at, at Elton John, you were in the front seats, uh, near the stage. Uh, did Elton, yeah. Elton spot the, what was going on at all, no?
7: No, I don't think so, no, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but if you were there and you have footage, please get in touch and we'll put you in touch with Emma because she'd like to get some video or photos from the special moment. What's himself's name? So he's all,
7: it's Martin.
1: Martin. And when is the, uh, have you discussed the timing of the nuptials or anything?
7: Well, uh, yeah, well, I want to get on things straight away. So hoping the summer of 2024.
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, well done. Yes. Engaged Emma and Martin at Elton John brilliant. on Friday night. Is there any particular song we might play for you to kind of play out kind of thing? I well, definitely
7: Elton's Elton song, your song, because it's ours now, I suppose. All right, Our okay.
1: Thank, th- thanks a million. The Neil Prendeville Show. Thanks, Emma. The Neil Prendival Thank Show. Pro- produced today by me. Claire O'Connor, by Kevin Galvin, and by Seamus Wheelahan And we're going to let Elton play us all the way to news. For Emma and Martin, every success in your married life to come. For you, Elton John.
9: It's a little bit funny,
0: this feeling inside. This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.